Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Le Mans 2020. Haggerty Ridge, your Le Mans on the air. Oh, oh no, hang on. Not quite yet. I've, I've, I've jumped the gun there for a moment. Uh, it is indeed RS1. We are indeed Haggerty Ridge, your Le Mans for 2020. But things are a little different this year and we only get on the air for our coverage tomorrow, Thursday, uh, from... Uh, early morning French time. Uh, join us for that. This is Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it is Series 15, Episode number 37. It's normally around about 24 while we're at Le Mans. I'm completely thrown out because we're not on at midday. Uh, and, and bizarrely, even though we've had an extra day to get ourselves ready for Le Mans... It's all still happened today. It's the usual Le Mans runaround, which has been extraordinary. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening to you, Tim. Good evening, John. I'd like to point out that for some people it is midday, but those are the people who normally listen to this show at 4am. Yes, good point. That's a very good point. At Speculatement, if you want to get in touch with us, hashtag Haggerty. Yes, hashtag, uh, hashtag Haggerty RLM for uh, this week but at Specutainment still at the moment hello to Dave Olcott to Adam Green uh, and to he's not listening uh, on the podcast he's um, listening live tonight rainy afternoon for him happy Le Mans week uh, to Dave Olcott as I mentioned hang on I need to scroll down here and my computer is not playing ball at all this is not a good start to Le Mans week at all Jack Gabriel will be uh, getting the podcast after painting this 1964 South African F1 car. I need more details on that this week. Big thanks in advance to the team, wherever you are. We'll be there with you too. Standing with, at the uh, Roll of Honour with you all. All the very best, says Phil. Oliver Giles listening. Fabulous weather in the UK in race week. It has been, hasn't it? Quite bizarrely so. A, a real Indian summer. Um, probably not allowed to say that anymore um, I don't even know what it means anymore Merry Christmas that was oddly long early June but finally Le Mans has arrived says right turn lover Eric Offerdal wouldn't miss the show before Le Mans 24 uh, Phil says killer for those two to three ish driving stints with the collectors remembering Alonso's monster laps a few years ago evening to Neil Gardner presumably back from camping in the new van University of Turmoil tuning in live to test it out and stream audio to my main stereo ready for my day off tomorrow. Good call. Good call at UOT. Stevens tuned in. 
Le Mans week finally here, listening on the Kent coast. David Harvey and Uncle Kevin also listening in live. Jill Bridge dipping in and out on the drive home. Uh, I regret to announce I have opinions on the single seat, it says rotation. Oh dear, that could get messy. Oh no, it already did on the restart. Uh, Chris Suku says, evening all. Uh, Fritz McGuez and all the trimmings. And some very nice chicken tonight. I felt like chicken tonight, funny enough. James Counter says, no apologies for absence. Chris McGowan, listening live for the first time in Le Mans week. Good to know that you're all tuned in. Phil Sharp, having had an enjoyable day at Mallory Park on a track day. Oh, Phil. Uh, sorry, Paul Sharp. Uh, excellent. I need some pictures of that place. Caught up with Le Mans podcast, tuning in live tonight, says Chris. That's Chris Surridge, Austin Hilliard Racing. Yahoo! Ready for Le Mans. Didn't even realise it was this weekend until yesterday. But it's the wife's 40. Uh, the wife is 40 weeks on Monday. Yeah, 40 weeks on Monday. That leaves you the weekend, doesn't it? Really? Is 40 weeks close to producing? I, uh, all right, that is 40 weeks. Okay. Well, tell her not to watch Le Mans and get too excited and not have a warm bath or a curry. It'll all be fine. First uh, First, uh, if it's your first one, it's always going to be late. Yes, thank you, uh, our chief of obstet- obstetricians, uh, Tim. Head of obstetrics, it's fine. Uh, obstetrics, yes. Uh, Sarah Rigby, uh, hello and happy birthday to the responsible adult. Uh, she's had a busy work day today. We actually had a bit of a birthday celebration for her on Monday because that was the only time we had a wee bit of time to ourselves. But thank you on her behalf to everybody who uh, has said uh, hello and happy birthday to her and before the jingle runs out on a packed programme tonight Tim because I've swapped things around just a little bit my apologies we have a sports car heavy show we do we've got lots of sports car news we've got people talking about sports cars we've also uh, got uh, Alex Verts. we've got uh, David King from Aston Martin we've got Stuart whose surname I've forgotten from Race Car Engineering Stuart Mitchell that's right uh, Nick Hopefully, Damon will be with us. If he's us. still around, yeah. Uh, Shay Adam will be with us. Um, there was something else as well. I can't think what that was now. Stephen Kilby. Well, and Stephen Kilby is waiting right now, so you should know that because this is where we don't have to shuffle the papers this week because there is a big top story. Play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. So lots of sports car content tonight, including our top story. And it's a very good news top story. Stephen Kilby from Travel Destinations. He's their media and content manager writing on LeMondRace.com this week about a significant real-life, real-world commitment. Nothing airy-fairy uh, about this, Stephen. Welcome to the show, first of all. How are you? I'm great, John. It's great to be back on. It's been way too long since we last spoke, hasn't it? C- certainly has. Uh, and you you were right across this news that Renault, in, in the form of Alpine, are committing to the top class of the World Endurance Championship and therefore Le Mans 24 Hours for next year... Uh, and it's an interesting, an interesting effort, this, because they're taking advantage of the situation uh, with the regulations for next year. Yeah, certainly is. It's a, it's a, it's a huge 
welcome surprise, I think, for all of us. I can't take credit for breaking the story, I must admit, before anybody starts asking the question. But um, we had heard as recently as, as last Le Mans when they kind of hinted that they wanted mm. to do LMP1. Um, and they kind of stepped back and rode back on it once everyone got excited. But this year, it appears they're actually going to do it. Um, and you've got to say, the more you look at this, it, it makes a lot of sense, John, in the sense that they're using uh, Rebellion's R13, which is a race-winning car now. It's had a couple of years under its belt. It's a pretty reliable package. Um, and it's not too dissimilar from the LMP2 car that they run currently, which is obviously the Oracle 07, badged as an Alpine A470. So it's not a great change for them. To, it's not like they're coming out of nowhere and starting afresh. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to perhaps, you know, get a really good result at Le Mans and maybe even challenge for a win in a year where everybody else in the top class is, is bringing in new kit. Yeah, and I'll come back to that in a minute. That's a very good point. I mean, there was a worry when we talked a couple of weeks ago on this programme about Cyril Abitabul uh, being appointed as head of everything racing for Alpine that we thought the sports car programme might actually be in jeopardy, and it and it seems that clearly now that isn't the that isn't the case. Even with Alpine returning as a, a as an entrant as a team to Formula One, so I mean, double doubly good news for anybody who follows the the light blue French brand. Yeah, I mean, it's the case of the, exactly the same thoughts as you, John. It, it's a case of them actually doubling down on sports cars rather than rowing back on it or or withdrawing from it um and at a time like this any sort of news like that has to be seen as you know one big and two extremely extremely positive i mean it shows that alpine and, and renault above still care about endurance racing they care about sports cars they still see it as a viable option despite them having you know a big commitment in formula one and it also shows that they've got aspirations for the alpine brand i mean it wasn't that long ago it seemed like you know it was a bit of a bit of a lost puppy the, the sort of alpine brand with one car and weren't sure what the factory situation was going to be and how many cars are we going to sell this has got to be a statement of intent for what's to come for alpine in future years and i think that's something we should certainly get excited about we should remember that it's now six years of course since they partnered up with what was then signatech uh back in what 2014 so there's there's plenty of knowledge of the elms uh le mans WEC there and as you hinted at before Stephen uh, is 2021 is actually a really good year to come into the WEC and therefore Le Mans because it will be the first year of a new set of regulations a set of regulations that has to somehow balance the performance of current LMP1 non-hybrid cars with a completely new generation of what we've been calling hypercar plus LMDH, if any of those turn up. And that's always an opportunity, isn't it? Particularly if you've got a proven piece of kit. Yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with people in and around the Alpine programme and the Rebellion programme um, since this news came to pass. And the, the key for them is they're, they're going to be using it. They're going to be using a car that's already proven, but because it's going to have to be balanced with the hypercars and the hypercars are going to be slower, you're effectively going to run this car detuned, which in effect then makes it a more reliable prospect, you know, over a 24 hour race, because they're not going to be running it and stressing all those parts to the full capability that we, we know they will when say rebellion run it this weekend. It's, it's it's kind of a win-win scenario because one they can show that they're you know competing at a huge event they'll get some marketing value yeah. but 
if the Toyotas aren't ready, if the Glickenhauses aren't, you know, fully ready to take on the, you know, the full 24 hours, there's a real chance that, you know, they're not going to you know, have a situation where if they were in LMP2 and they had to pick up the pieces, that they have to fight another 20 LMP2 cars. They'll be first in line to take the spoils. Yeah, because we should remind everybody that this, uh, as far as we're aware, and it hasn't changed uh, recently, this will be Rebellion, their last outing at Le Mans, and they'll wind up their programme at the end of the WEC season. We clearly don't know what's going to happen with Janetta, with their withdrawal from this year's Le Mans, and that surely must put their future participation in the rest of the WEC this year uh, in jeopardy. And by Colles, of course, um, well... They, they may have a decision to make, uh, Killer, to be honest, because they've said they want to do a hypercar. Um, it, we haven't heard very much about that, and they would still have the opportunity to go with the current P1 car, though. Yeah, it's good to come down to how much faith they've got in their new package. If, if behind the scenes have been doing loads of work on it and they are going to come good with their promise of bringing a hypercar to the party, then you know there's no reason to suggest that they would park it. Um, just to, to make way for a car that already exists in their LMP1 car. But at the same time, you, you've got to say the LMP1 car is not, you know, as much as, you know, they, they try week in, week out, whenever they go racing with it to, to get good results. It's not um, perhaps been the force that they would they would like it to be, should we say. So do they want to start afresh? I mean, from the outside looking in, you'd have to say that would be a pretty good option with a, with a brand new brand new car. Do we know, going back to Alpine, do we have any details at all? Or have you got any sense of who would be running that effort next year? Because Rebellion effectively have become a, a works orica uh, entry. Uh, it would make sense for the factory and Uda Shonak's uh, equip to, to look after that. But I haven't seen any details of that, if I'm honest. From the conversations I've had, the expectation for me at least, is that they're going to run uh, the Alpine program with pretty much the same stuff that are currently racing the, the Rebellion R13. So this is guys um, as a whole that work for Orica on the factory, building a, building the cars on the production line, their LMP2 cars. So I, I don't foresee there being a huge change of staff or anything immediately. Um, it's going to be a team that knows the car and potentially drivers that know the car as well, or at least one or two of them um, that will be first in line to take a potential drive just to give them any advantage they can possibly get with with running this new car. All good news then in that case in this uh, early part of Le Mans week with a, a bit more to come on Friday when we'll get some kind of announcement for Peugeot, even if it is just the key team members. Stephen, thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you later on in the week as well on uh, Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Thanks, John. So, John, what are we expecting Peugeot to announce on Friday? Uh, That's a good point. Very vague so far. They're not going to be talking about uh, which drivers they've signed, are they? I don't think so. From what we've gleaned from our sources in the paddock, shall we say, Thank you, Andrew, and others. Uh, we uh, we think that it's going to be an announcement of uh, Chef to Keep and one or two key team members. I think that details will be thin on the ground. Unlike the Alpine announcement, which is absolute, 
and definite for 2021, which is why Stephen there rightly is, uh, you know, very upbeat about that, as everybody should be. That's Renault. Peugeot set to come in in 2022, just in time for the 100th anniversary in 2023. This could be very big in France. And if it's very big in France, they'll be keen to say it's very big everywhere. And it's very good then for Le Mans and for the World Endurance Championship. We'll be on the air on Friday uh, around about the time that uh, that announcement. uh, And I'm told, by the way, that they are not having what can be called a traditional press conference at Le Mans on a Friday afternoon. Because normally Friday afternoon, Nick Damon is here with us. And normally we get quite a lot of information on a, on yeah, a Friday a afternoon launch, because there's nothing you know, else happening. There's a big launch. They normally do it 11 in the morning, don't they, on the Friday? And they have Can't do that because thing. of Iperpol. Ah, Iperpol. And then we get loads of information by going around the travel destination campsites. We find out what's good, which is decent beer, how the cricket's going, which is really important information. Joe Bradley also with us tonight, getting ready for uh, the right. weekend. Are you ready for Le Mans, mate? Yeah, it's ready. I'm, I've been ready since... June. I've been ready since the end of May. You've been ready since June. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. so normally we don't get. Uh, uh, normally, sorry, we would get a uh, an announcement of something from the ACO. We'll, we'll talk to Stuart about that. The the new deputy head of uh, of uh, race car engineering in the second hour tonight. Uh, he's down in Bristol. We'll link up with him and see what he's got to say about Le Mans this year. Um, but we've got track action, so we'll be on the air. We'll have some live shows. Uh, we will have just done Hyperpole. Uh, Johnny's very keen to cover the first of the Road to Le Mans races, which we can possibly do. done all of the do. Michelin Le Mans Cup this season, so he doesn't Correct. want to miss one. No, so uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll be at least checking in on uh, uh, Johnny and possibly Bruce as well, getting very excited. Uh, about that, and so we'll find out what to be Peugeot a program, which is a mixture of Peugeot and Road to Le Mans, because they both happen at the same time. Yeah, and before that, we've got a bit of Marriott's memories as well. We're going yes, to do. We are going to di- immediately after Iperpol, uh, d- despite the uh, the solicitor's warnings <laughs> from last year, we will have a bit of. We were going. We are going. Tom Christensen and said to me, "These are all you... new memories as well. These are yeah, not yeah. last year's memories recycled. These are brand new memories." And Tom Christensen said to me, he sent me a note about 10 days ago, and he said, are you having Marriott's memories again? And I said, why? And he said, because I nearly crashed my hire car. I was laughing so much <laughs> when I was listening on the way in to Le Mans last year. And I said, Tom, I tell you what, just for you, we will, if, you know, you've won Le Mans more times than anyone else, we can do Marriott's memories for Tom Christensen. So Andrew will be joining us on Friday. We've got a lot of other... Lamont voices who've been associated yeah. with Radio Andrew's Lamont. Andrew's also joining us on Thursday, isn't he, for a special programme? Yeah, that's... Uh, do you remember when it was last in September? Yes. 1968. Paul Tarsi and Andrew Marriott will be talking about that. We'll have them on, on, on Thursday between the sessions. Are we going to find out what, uh, what the Baron and, and Marriott did during the Summer of Love, are we? Well, the Baron was I at school, even... apparently, so... <laughs> Tars- Tarsi was at uh, a boarding school, so you probably don't want to no, ask that not question. Br- not a British boarding school, definitely no, no. not. No. The Baron. Uh, so that's Thursday. Jim Roller will be join- joining us at some stage over the weekend, as-, as will be Graham Tyler, Fingers Tyler, the man who gave his name to Tyler's long one. He'll be uh, with us with some remembrances of uh, Le Mans uh, as well. So plenty of uh, 
uh, of chat and atmosphere and remembrances as well as the live coverage on Haggerty Radio Le Mans on Irish One this week. That's the big sports car story with Alpine coming back next next year. And Peugeot. Um, and Peugeot the year after. Um, you mentioned Chef de Keep. Who do we think it's going to be? It's not yeah. going to be Olivier Canel coming back, is it? I don't... That's very good. It's a very good question. Um, Bruno Faman was there back down through the years as well at Peugeot. I'm looking across at Nick and he's he's shrugging. There's been a few... Um, there have been a few hints about who might be I, there. I just hope John Todd, all, all I can say is I just I just hope whoever they choose understands it a bit better than the last bunch did. Right? Are they making a big Are they making a big thing of this? Shift to keep. Well, the announcement. I mean, well, an army marching its stomach. So it's going to be Jean Todd. It's got to be. No, three five in the nine or five days. I think he's possibly a little bit busy. Um, <laughs> not uh, next year, he's not. Is he uh, resigning? Yeah, uh, he's resigning. Is, 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 is he doing four more years? He, he? He's not. Uh, he's, he's, he's not standing again, is he? He's not standing again. He's not standing again. No. 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 There you go. Put two two together. Uh, okay. Well, I like what you're saying there, yeah. brothers. I like what you're saying. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's series fifteen doing since Peugeot withdrew from WEC. You're going to tell us, aren't you? I, I am, yes. Go on, then. He's going to be. He's been uh, working for Jacques Nicolet's company. Has he? Uh-huh. Jacques Nicolet's company, which is Jacques Nicolet Holding. Ah, rather than uh, Signatech and Leisure, then. Yes. Right. The, okay. the big, overarching parent company. Right. That's very. Int- I like Jacques Nicolet a lot as an individual and uh, as a racer and as an individual. I. I. I still think what they did with Pescarolo was just one of the best things ever and the hand of Pescarolo the keys to his business back absolutely that that I, I well up every time I, I think about that if you don't know what I'm talking about go and, go and look it up because I actually can't talk about it without getting actually quite emotional uh, I, and um, in terms of we know there's a new I really hope it's not just the new logo we've seen the new logo um, I, I, and I, I really hope it's <laughs> yeah, not just the new logo we haven't seen this at Le Mans no, that's true. We haven't seen it at Le Mans. And it's per... Slightly concerned about uh, teams joining major series announcing pointless things. There is some history <laughs> in that. And, and now there is a, because of that, there's now a £200 million bond to get into F1. Just we'll saying. talk about yeah, that And later. that all came down to your cartoons. Well, that's true. One of Joe Sidewood's previous uh, uh, missteps apparently called to Declan. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. indeed so. Um, so, uh, Joe Bradley, Nick Damon... I made John Hindoff along with, uh, we're, we're in Studio 2 at the moment for Haggerty uh, Radio Le Mans, up in Studio, are, are we call it A and B or is it 1 and 2? Well, two? I've got North Studio 1 and they? 2 here, so you must be so we are three. Uh, A or B. All right, I think, can, oh, can we be B then? You can be B if you want, or A. Yeah. I mean, okay. just pick a letter. You can, you, we're not going to be discriminatory about. Studio Z. Studio Z. Studio uh, X, I like the sound. Studio, studio X. X. I like Come Studio here. X. How about, why don't we have a little more fun with Studio 64? I'm currently on my own <laughs> in Studio, studio 1, but I will be joined by uh, Bruce Jones and Johnny yep. Palmer. Yep, and Shea Adam and will Shea Adam. join us as well. Yes. Now, and, and whilst we're talking about this, we might as well give you um, a little bit of, of news. So you've heard some of the, the voices that are going to be involved Hello. in Haggerty Radio Le Mans. 
And the responsible adult, uh, uh, whose birthday it is today, but doesn't get a day off because she's been working flat out, has done a cracking job. Thank you very much to our previous sponsors of Radio Le Mans down through the years. We understand that this year has been a difficult year for everybody. And welcome to Haggerty as the title sponsor, so Haggerty Radio Le Mans on RS1. And we welcome VP Racing Fuel as the sponsor of our pit and paddock reports. If you've listened to IMSA, of course, you'll know that they've already been fulfilling uh, that role within the IMSA radio broadcast. So Joe and Shay uh, will be looking after that and speaking to the teams. And we've got another new, not a new sponsor, but they've expanded their roles, let's say, this year. And thanks to Tubbs and the rest of the team at Sacred Coffee, and Sacred Cafe and Sacred Sport, look them all up, uh, who are sponsoring our post-race tech this year. We might well need a cup of coffee after all of that. And thankfully, they've sent a whole load of product as well to at least studio... Well, we should be Studio C for coffee, shouldn't we? Yes. Because we have that here. There's no sacred product in Studio One yet, so... uh, Yes, if you you keep saying that, Tubbs will be listening, so I'm sure you might get something down there. If we want to do post-race, or if we want Johnny and Bruce to be involved in post-race tech, then um, Tubbs... Ask Eve where, where, what, what the address is. Yeah, all right. All right, I see what you're doing there. Um, I think we've broken quite a lot of broadcasting standards on, the, on that already. And an additional programme as well on Monday is what we're tentatively calling the Haggerty 25th Hour. Now, this will be on Monday at 6 o'clock UK time, 1 o'clock Eastern, and will be in Vision as well, as some of the Haggerty Radio Le Mans presenters, as well as some guests who have been involved in Le Mans, uh, will be taking a quick 60-minute trip through the 24 hours and reviewing some of the highlights and potentially the nightmares of Le Mans. That's going to be on the Haggerty community pages, uh, and that is the, t- the Haggerty 25th hour. That will be Monday at 6 o'clock UK, 1 o'clock Eastern, in vision. So you're going to have to all tidy yourselves up, gents. We, sorry, is that, is that a live thing? Yes, that's live. But I'm back home again. Me too. Well, that's fine. You can, we can get Sky- you on a vid. Oh, we're Skyping in now, okay. We can get you, can get you on, the, on the Zoom or whatever oh, it is. Stage okay. 10, whatever oh, no, it is I, we I, use. I, I'll, I'll be using a much better camera than Zoom. I will, yeah. I'll get a three shot with... Uh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, plenty to keep you involved on Haggerty Radio Le Mans starting tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock French time. That Sorry, at 10 o'clock French time, 9 o'clock UK time. Is that right, Tim? 8.45. All right, okay, we're a little bit early. Uh, and if you want all the details, go down to the bottom of radio-show.co.uk and there is an RS1 schedule there which will, uh, which will auto-correct uh, into your own time. Jen. Thank you to Ro- And uh, which to you rotation. can import into uh, iCal or Outlook or Google Calendar or whatever calendar software you use, you can import that calendar and it will update live in real time. Excellent. Uh, rotation says it's Le Mans week, so happy anniversary, John and Eve. We've as it moved, it was nice <laughs> of the ACO. Uh, they moved it from our wedding anniversary week into Eve's birthday week, so that we still got something to celebrate, which I think is nice of the ACO. Rotation, thank you. Uh, let's uh, move on, but stay with sports car news. Yes, I think, we've Tim, talked we? about the return of Alpine. We've talked about the return of Peugeot. Both of those in the future. There is a return to Le Mans that is happening this very week. 
is, is this the big blimp? This is the Goodyear blimp. I was going to ask Joe That's and Nick no if they could guess. Uh, it, it's no way to talk about Joseph. I know he's put a few pounds on uh, during COVID, but that that he's looking at me there's very. Nothing good about, there's nothing good about this year. <laughs> <laughs> Have you put a few COVID kilos? A little on bit, them? yes, yeah, yeah. You know the best thing about I that filled is, out though. Do you know what? You can't see that on the radio. So That's as right. far as anybody's concerned, you're I still know. the bronze Adonis <laughs> with a six pack that you. Um, that you always were I until Monday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, the six pack still here. It was Corona. It was Corona six pack as well. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. Wait, Tim just made a point. You're on. You're in vision on Monday, so just remember to get the aspect ratio wrong. You'll be fine. I'll, I'll be squeeze yourself down. Go full four by three. I'll I'll, I'll squeeze you. T- How long yeah. is it since the since the Good Job Limp's been in in Europe and at Le Mans, Tim? It's a few years, isn't it? Hello, Tim. No idea. I, I think it's I think it's it's got to be thirty years. It was a big feature at F one Grand Prix. Nineteen eighty six was the last oh time it was goodness. at Le Mans. Thirty four years then. Wow. What about what about like British Grand Prix time? When yeah, when, yeah. when was the last time we we used Goodyear tyres in? F1? Well, exactly. You see, that's the thing, that's isn't it? Remember that. That's what yeah. you've got to think. Do you remember when it came to what was then Usworth Airfield before long before it was Nissan near wow. Sunderland? Wow. No. I, I cycled over there and bought a Goodyear cap, which I, I think was a pound, and I think I still have it. That, that was, was a, a lot of money in 1952, man. Yeah, it was, mate. It was. It would have bought a street of houses in those days. Which <laughs> about 1952? He, he only went there because he thought he'd seen the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> which I have been, uh, I have been called seen in the past. Seen that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Goodyear Blimp is back. And yes. the, and I, How I'm long is a Goodyear Blimp? Depends um, how fast it's going. Uh, <laughs> 24 hours this weekend. Um, 60 hun- metres. Yeah, 100 yeah. feet. I was going to say 100 uh, metres. A couple of hundred feet. 60 metres. It's 75 metres. Oh, that was oh, close. How wide is it? 17 metres. 20 metres. Uh, 19 and a half. Very good, Joe. Oh, and how very good, tall is it? Well, it depends how high off the ground it is. <laughs> 27, says Nick. I say... I'll say 30. I'll say 32. It's not that tall. It's uh, 17.4 metres tall. Oh. Ah. Right. Very good. Well, including the gondolas. Yes. Uh, what will be mounted on the gondola? Cameras. A well, camera. Well, engines, I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll just be sort of floating around at the mercy of the winds, <laughs> won't it? That's a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> not a blimp. Yeah. Uh, camera. And who's using the cameras? Uh, people who are watching on television. Yes, but which channel in particular are using them? Ooh. Because I don't think it's on the international feed. Is it just on the app? No, it's not. No, on the I think it is on the, the international apps. feed. It was in. Oh, is it? Uh, yes, it was in their was poorly in their translated plan, uh, production <laughs> plan. Eurosport have been trailing it quite uh, quite heavily that they're going to have blimp shots. Uh, well, I presume they were talking shots. about the balloon and nobody that was working for them, but you know. We've become quite familiar with blimp shots lately, though, with all the eye racing races. That was yeah. that a very good point. Also, the, 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 kind of the blimp, much as it is, you're quite right, an icon of the skies and televising, has been kind of usurped massively by A, helicopters and B, drones. Mm. Yes, There will be well, a helicopter at, as well, Nick. So at, uh, at Road Atlanta, for the last IMSA event, we had a plane. They had a Cessna up for the whole time, for the whole six-hour race. And, oh. that, and that just... Basically, did a nice little figure of eight. Or flying the, the wrong way around. as well. It was flying the wrong way at one stage, Tim. Yes, absolutely right. Upside down. You listen. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures weren't that good from that point. Got a lot of clouds <laughs> at that point. A lot of clouds. 
Uh, I, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is the Le Mans Special Edition, Series 15, Episode 37, further through the year than normal. We're in sports car news. There's plenty of sports car. Is that the end of the sports cars? You got anything else? There'll be more sports to? cars in the second hour. Uh, there'll Ooh. actually be some more sports cars later on this hour, but um, Ooh, okay. there will also be sports cars in the second hour. Uh, Where would you like to go now? Well, I'd like to talk about the Tuscan Grand Prix. Uh, because everyone said, you've got to watch it, it's going to be really exciting. So I did, and I was a little bit disappointed, because... Joe's got, Joe had his hand up there, but we're going to let you no, finish. No, I had two hands up. All right, okay, fine. Uh, there was no... Why were you disappointed? No Martin Short, no Bobby Verdon Rowe, <laughs> no Jamie Campbell Water. What sort Very of Tuscan good. race is this? No TVRs at all, in No fact. TVRs at all, nothing from Blackpool. No, disappoint and, and Johnny was very disappointed about that as well. Nothing tangerine or from Blackpool or with a V8 engine uh, at all. Hardly worth going I don't know, there. Some of the higher cars uh, that uh, the drivers had probably had V8 engines in them. Who, who was it who dropped their keys from their BMW M2 competition? That was Louis Dillatraz. Th- yes, and somebody very kindly put them on the door handle of the car and they sat there for 11 hours yes. until he got back to Would it. Would never have happened at Monza. No, uh, no. Eleven minutes. Oh, max. Silverstone. Just about to say that. No, oh, really Silverstone's well. fine. You think Silverstone be all right? It's yeah, fine. I think Silverstone doesn't have to bring in my nine six eight at Silverstone. <laughs> Fair enough. Then, but on the whole, well. oh, that was Cadwell as well. Cadwell, but let's yeah. not even go. That. They just took the badge there. They didn't try oh, to right. jemmy the yes. door open. Yes. That's true. Uh, 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 shall we leave this to Nick then? Nick, team by team. For let's rattle through. Let's go through the the Tuscan Grand Prix team by team as as quick. As the cars were doing the lap round there. Tim, where would you like to start? Uh, well, let's start at the back, Nick. Well, you have to tell me who the back is. Well, I think we've got to say Haas, haven't we? Were they the first retirement? No. No. The first retirement was not Haas. So this is why I don't know. So just tell me a team. Well, we're going to start with, with Haas. Right. So Kevin Magnussen um, uh, got Haas. wiped out in the uh, the, the restart melee, and uh, <laughs> Romain Grosjean um, was a hero for after his accident, carrying on going with a car that was mostly damaged and bits had fallen off, and he was losing a second of lap, and he was marvellous. And he was laughed really well. He gave us some excellent uh, Romain Grosjean over emotional radio messages. You know, he's still, you know, I think much more. You know, he's up there with the the fantastic messages of Dan Tictum and. Uh, and I thought uh, Nikita Mazapan's this week were particularly good as well. No, Dick Tantrum this week was particularly tantramatic. He was upset about life. It's not fair. It's not fair. He, he was absolutely brilliant. If there's not a Greatest Hits album from, probably will be. from Dan, it, uh, life is not worth living. That's, well, you're probably right. So anyway, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just move forward a bit. Thank you. Because okay. you were... Knocking that off the Oh, door. I see. I was, about, I was banging my head against the picture. Yes. One, anyway, yeah, so that's one so, of, wasn't uh, a great one for Haas then. One of Grosjean's messages was uh, about something that he had down his back. What was that? Gravel. He gravel, had gravel yes. down his back after spinning in the gravel trap at the accident in the third corner. So he's here, all bobbly back. Luckily, luckily he was at, stop fading me off. Luckily, he was able to get out of the car twice so he could get the gravel away. Yes. Uh, what about Kimi and uh, Antonio at uh, Alfa Romeo? Antonio Giovinazzi continues to be completely underwhelming and probably so. 
saw his replacement not only extend his lead in F2, but also get to drive a really nice F1 car uh, earlier in the day. So I, I, I'm now I'm putting my nail in the coffin now. <laughs> I'm East Coffin. I guarantee Nick's prediction number one: Mick Schumacher will be Alfa Romeo next year. Not saying who's going to partner him, but Mick even Schumacher. if he doesn't win F2, yeah. He'll be there now. And even though the F1 car that he drove, which sounded super quick, was actually no quicker than the F2 cars were. Doesn't matter. Which is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. I know, but isn't that extraordinary? He wasn't wasn't going at full wag. He wasn't hanging about, in fairness. He didn't didn't just do a parade lap, did he, for the 27 people that were there? But they were doing about 120. He could probably end about 122 if he was on the proper tyres. But, you know. Ferrari have said over the weekend that uh, his. his future is not dependent on his results this season. No, it's dependent on his name, and he's already got that. No, he'll be an Alfa Romeo next Well, year. and that, and he gets all the brakes from race control, because they didn't throw the the safety car that they did. I don't know what um, uh, Christian Lundgren, Lund- Lund- who was... Who was uh, hmm? Lundgard. Lundgard was, was massively disadvantaged in the Saturday race by a safety car that didn't oh, need to come out. And then the virtual safety car would have been fine for that and then when you needed a safety car because there was a vehicle in the gravel at turn one they just dealt with it with a virtual safety car because Schumacher was leading little bird, no he wasn't leading he was fifth a little birdie has told me that it was actually be careful what you wish for all the F2 teams went Complain. up to Michael Massey and, Massey and complained about having that full safety car for a car that was so far off it wouldn't it wouldn't have been hit if it was going flying to Venus that when they that he decided not to pull the safety car when um, mm-hmm. the it was the two teammates got two teammates, yeah. yeah. Who was, who was the uh, high tech car? Who was Italian? Yeah. Uh, Giotto. Look at Giotto ended up in the um, yes, turn one. And, uh, 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 almost on his side, in fairness. Yes, but anyway, so they didn't get it because they asked not to have it. So, so Schumacher at, at Alfa Romeo next year? 100%. Right. Okay. With Kimi? Maybe now. Who knows? Yeah, I hope so, because I still want Kimi in Formula but, 1. We yeah, know, apparently Ferrari also going to place a driver at Haas next year. Possibly. Who knows? Would that be Schwartzman? No, he's 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 faded badly, and he can do his second year in F two. I've got some Kimi related news if you want it. Go on. Go on. The Formula Ford that he raced at the ninety nine festival, which was the only Formula Ford race he did that year, has gone back to Jonathan Lewis this Ooh, week. Has it? And Jonathan Lewis is is the guy who ran that car in the ninety nine festival. Well, well, the good news about that is that means George's garage is now free for all the fun because <laughs> that's where it's been. <laughs> And I'm future planning, Hindoff. What are we going to buy? I would need a, we need a race We need car. a classic. Anyway, we need a classic we're digressing. Jonathan Please Lewis is someone anyway. we ought to speak to. Oh, that you would need a four-hour show. I know. We'll, we'll do Actually, a, we'll do a special yes. long one. <laughs> Can I do that for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't ask half the questions that you I want to ask. I know a lot. I know. You know. Mm. You know. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile, back to Tim's Formula One team. By God, we've gone off on massive tangents <laughs> this week. Sorry about that. We're all practicing for the middle of the night at Le Mans. Yes. Well, it's hero to zero, isn't it? I've won a Grand Prix, now I'm in the gravel, and I've been out qualified, and I've looked a bit of an idiot, which is Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly obviously does not watch other races that weekend, because he tried a move which failed twice in F2 at the start of the F1 race, Correct. got squeezed the middle up the hill to turn three, and oh, guess what? End up in the gravel. Uh, Danny Kvyat kind of just trundled round quite reasonably all right to seventh place, so at least he finally got one over on... Um, Gasly, and the good news is that Yuki Tsunoda had a very unimpressive weekend, so there's a good chance he might not be replaced by me, even though Honda really wanted him. I, I, I normally sit at home, Nick, listening to you use that term, trundle round. <laughs> yeah. And I can assure you that he wasn't trundling. 
he was on the absolute limit to that seventh place. Yes, but he was trundling. I love, his t- I love that term, trundling, when Nick Hughes... Was he making any impression one way or the other? He wasn't trundling, Nick. Was I he bothering he... anybody? Was he, was he, it's like he's not bothering the scorers. I know what you mean. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just saying that... <laughs> You know, you kind of visualise he's just got his elbow out. He's just one hand on the wheel. Looking at the side. His tartan rag on and everything. That's how I always race. All that's missing is a Labrador. Anyway, move on. Next. Oh, we did do the other F1. The other. We did both the drivers? We did do both drivers. But I just want to return to Gasly. Gasly, for the fourth time since a three-stage qualifying was introduced... Uh, fell out of qualifying in Q1, having won the previous week's race. Do you know who the other three were? I'll go for Pastor Maldonado now. Uh, uh, well, well, one was definitely the last French winner, um, that was Panis. Lewis no. probably did it once. No, I'm no, sure no. Lewis, Lewis has done it Lewis. twice, yes. Lewis, yeah, Lewis yeah. is two um, of them. I'll go, who's fallen out? I'll go for Fettel, he fallen out after winning? I believe Daniel it was Rick. Fettel, yes. Yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah, people who win this. Carry on. People who so win what? Good ca- win company. and then don't make it out of Q3 the following race. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So that, Sorry. That, yeah. Okay. I, 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 I was... Sorry. I thought he was talking about people who won and then retired from the following yeah, race. Yeah. So Panis uh, was uh, an example yeah. of that. In fact, uh, okay. I think it happens to every Frenchman who wins his first race ah, and you know. then retires I, from the next I one. think it's in the sport. It's, grand, regs, it's isn't it? grounding people. It's ground people. Yeah. You know, they get too, too excited. Next team. Uh, McLaren. Uh, disappointing disappointing on number levels they, they were the second fastest team on pace uh, at Monza and they were just stuck in the mild of the midfield uh, Landon always had a bit of an accident in FP2 which I think put him off for the rest of the weekend because they were being very upset by the wind a bad wind apparently a tailwind makes the car awful and causes a slipstream it's the same as a tailwind and so they didn't like slipstream down the straight which is the only place you can go past uh <laughs> Science had a problem, so he was at the, towards the back. He was um, he rode at the scene of the accident at a massive speed, wrote the car off. And Norris trundled slightly faster than Danny Kvyat to get sixth. But again, didn't do an awful lot, while still going as fast as he could and being absolutely bees out and everything else. And, and the G-force, Joe, and everything. Bees out. Yeah, in a and the G's. Trundly way. In a yeah. trundly way. trundly way. On to beleaguered Ferrari. Sorry, is that, the new, is, that, is that a new team name for a beleaguered Ferrari? So we've been calling them for the last, last few weeks. five weeks, Nick. Well, I've... I've, I've, I've it looked I, lovely in that dark, sanguineous oh, red. No, it didn't. Because if they're going to do it... and I've got to have gold no, wheels. One awful. thing I did like was I liked the way they'd kind of done the, um, the numbers, like they were hand-painted with a brush. Yes, However, the... they should have gone the whole hog and stripped all the sponsors off it. Yeah. They should say this one. So look, we're doing this. This is what yeah. we're going to do. We're going to take all the sponsors off, and we'll do a little thing around it because it looked awful with the sponsors. It doesn't work. Because the point about it is, is the design is designed to work with that red, mm. and then you change the red, the sponsors all look wrong. Still needed gold wheels. I couldn't. Deny, I'm absolutely right. But again, that, that work. They wouldn't have gold wheels because actually they're not as thermally as efficient, so they wouldn't have that, them anyway. But it doesn't matter. Well, no, in it's fairness, not going to make any fairness, difference to them. It doesn't year. matter. So, uh, Charles Leclerc was less awful than Sebastian, uh, but in many ways that was because he was a bit more aggressive on the tyres, went through three sets, was quite lucky there was two stops, and ended up coming eighth, seventh, nowhere, and uh, Fettel came tenth. He was running. He was running in third. He made a great start. Point. I mean, yeah, I had a great and start. he got completely he, swamped. He lap after lap car. after lap. He had that car so out of position. In comparison to his world champion, is he the team? new Yano truly? 
Is he? <laughs> oh, that, that's a that's a good one. Because don't I'd, forget, I'd like Yano, Tru- Yano Trulli was only Yano Trulli. Well, he's won more Grand Prix already. The reason that Yano Trulli was Yano Trulli is because it wasn't a DRS, so you couldn't get past it once he was mm. formed the tray. Now there's DRS, you can't be Yano Trulli anymore. Question for RC Racing from Spooner and Orange. I don't think Lewis has actually signed uh, for 2021. Is he just waiting to e- equal Shumi's records this year before calling it a day? No. What else do we, does he have to achieve in F1? Beat records. Okay. And carry yeah, on. And, and do you not feel that he has found his vocation now, which is trying to raise awareness by using his position? So he's hardly going to lose his position, so he can't raise awareness, is he? Uh, Alan Prosser says a tailwind makes a car awful. Well, that explains the Austin Allegro. <laughs> uh, moving on, next, next team. Uh, Williams. How the guy they cover so high? Doesn't up? matter. Uh, Latifi um, so was actually going. Latifi, Latifi, Latifi. What what did he do? What was the biggest thing he did at the weekend? I have no idea. Caused the start line shunt. No, he didn't. No, yes, he, he didn't. did. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was no, the he, one that was no, out of. No, he was no. the no. one. No, no, he, no. I've had you this have to read. You have to read a forensic. And it was a very on the race. And I'll, I'll be happy to give a promotion to a, to a website on the race. The hyphen race, they have a very, very good dissection of what actually happened in that accident. And effectively, 11 to 12 drivers were being a bit silly. And I'll tell you something for nothing, and Joe will know this, that was a typical racing accident in the lowest split of all. <laughs> where yes, it it's everyone's shuffling about, thinking they're going to gain an advantage and it goes green. And then what all happens is someone actually says, oh, hang on, I bet, oh, hang on, if I overtake the leader, do I get a penalty? So he la- stands on the brakes, everyone that, piles well, that into was the them, and then some of the backs got greens, and it all goes to... Hell in the handcart, and the top three go. That was Latifi. <laughs> Latifi was more than alongside the car that he was behind, and then realised he hadn't crossed the line no, but he, and, he lo- and jammed it up. He stopped because you no, know, it's, it's a massive concertina, and there's twelve drivers at fault. It, it's it's that thing, isn't it, on the motorway where somebody brakes really hard at Milton Keynes, and somebody at Leicester has the accident Absolutely. because it backs all the way up, and and and. I'm going to say now, Bottas did nothing wrong. Nope. Nothing, nothing, nothing at all wrong. He never speeded up. He never slowed down. And there's an easy way, by the way, Michael Massey, to get around that and Formula One. Do what they do in Australia for supercars and for any of the sports car races. When the lights go out on the safety car, no weaving, no overlapping. It would be as simple as that. And it doesn't matter, Lewis, and you were wrong on this at the weekend. That's not what happens when the safety car goes out late. Lights go out late because they went out at the same point on the circuit at the end of that new tarmac coming into the final corner for every single safety car over the whole weekend, including in the Grand Prix. And and, and so that wasn't a factor whatsoever. But what you've got to do is when the safety car lights go out, stay line astern, no overlapping and no waving. And if they'd done that... And also, by the way, what we never heard was all the team radio, which I've now since heard from further back, going green, 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 revving everybody up. And all the people who allegedly cheated by having more than two cars lengths between themselves and the car in front because they were trying to get did an you, advantage. Did you actually hear some team radio shouting green, green, green? I've, I've heard it online since, yes. All right. Because you, w- you would be shouting at your driver, it's gone green or green, Correct. green, green. Correct. But... Do not pass until the line. Yeah, but you, you would follow that up with that. You, you have remember it's, it's not a to ra- pass before the it's line. It's a racing. It's a racing driver. So the it, first thing you've got well, to say well, is don't pass before the line. But it has gone green. Yeah, well, yeah. You've, well, yes. <laughs> you, you can't in the, see in the, green, <laughs> green. Oh, don't pass that, before the line. That, that's right. That's probably uh, that's a good. That's idea, what actually. happened to yeah. the team. Sorry, but sorry. It's, you don't start with look, 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 Derek. I don't want you to get excited. <laughs> I don't want you to overreact. Well, yeah, but don't forget. 
you can't pass full light, but I just want to tell you, it has now gone green, Derek. It it's, has gone green, Derek. It's the same in the reverse situation in touring cars. When it goes yellow, it's, we've gone full course yellow, race to the line. Do you still race to the line? Yeah, you race to the line. Or you did in my day. Uh, I think that was still, ridiculous. I think it's still that, that yeah, is no, ridiculously dangerous. Well, you still dangerous. race to the line. You, you uh, race to from... the safety car board, but the safety car boards are put out reverse direction around the track. So depending on where you are on the track, you might see one quickly or not. Uh, uh, this from Rob Chalmers. The... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This from Rob Chalmers. I don't know why I'm putting my hand up to Nick because he wasn't talking. <laughs> um, uh, Rob Chalmers says, all I know, I don't want Latifi following me through the 50 mile an hour limit on the, <laughs> on the M6. Latifi, we talked about, talked about the other... Uh, George Russell. Yeah. Uh, remarkably, managed, cont- managed to keep his uh, 100% record of qualifying against his teammates despite being off the track, which I think says a little bit more about Latifi's slowness than uh, Russell's speed. Though he did keep his foot in that final he was mad. qualifying. And then absolutely, completely shot himself in the foot by a f- poor final restart and lost his chance of points. Um, yeah. I think that's probably the first really big black mark against him this season. Right, moving on. Could we also mention that uh, if they hadn't put all of the lapped cars um, at the back, then um, of the lead lap, that, but that's the rule, then uh, so he would have got That's like changing tyres and, uh, and not being that's, part firm here, That's just the which rules. Which is bonkers. Just the rules. Though, interestingly... The question we had, the conversation we had last week was actually answered this week. You can change parts, but they have to weigh the same. Ah. So what they did in, when we were watching in Monzo, in Bottas, they, they put a, another vent. It did have more air, uh, more ventilation in it, mm-hmm. but the problem was it had to weigh the same. As the one they took as, off. Or more as the one they took off. And that was what the consternation was because he really obviously so I was having, half right by having more holes. It's going to theoretically weigh less, which I think when they got told they couldn't put it on, I think it weighed less. Mm. That makes sense. Do All we right. think that the um, accident on the restart uh, could have been avoided if the start line was nearer that preceding corner? Possibly. Yes. I mean, it, that's that's yes, but that's not the track. Yeah. It could have been avoided if half the drivers had a brain cell between them. Well, and and Anthony, Anthony Davidson on Sky F1. Tenths, was not half. With, I mean, yes. Um, uh, Anthony Davidson was scandalised by the fact that they had no clue how to do a safety car restart because, of course, he's done loads of them in sports cars. And anybody who's watched endurance racing looked at that and went... Are you kidding me? You're meant to be the best drivers in the world and you have no clue how to restart. It, it, it was embarrassing have for Have you F1, seen what uh, Ant's for those put on drivers. social media today? What's he said? He uh, did his track walk and has uh, been paying close attention to where the lights are that indicate that the uh, pit lane is closed. Pit lane's closed, yeah, absolutely, because that's what you do. Uh, racing point, yes. Nick. Uh, well... Racing Point had one upgrade, which they gave to Lance, not because he's son of the owner, but because he had slightly more points than Sergio. Right. No, he was further he up the World quite Championship. He a lot more points. Mm, yeah, he was, yeah. Where is he in the World Championship before the weekend? Well, he was fourth, I think, or third, I don't know. Fourth. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter, because I think you should give it to your more capable driver. Anyway, so, and of course, you know, they also announced this week they would change the moment. Anyway, but the interesting thing is, as they say, moving forward, is that then he was actually quite good. 
It wasn't bad. Lance had a bit of a go for not getting past um, Leclerc too quickly. But he drove quite well. He was quite smooth. He was looking for a sort of a kind of a really well earned third or fourth. And then his tyre blew up and he fell off the track about 170 miles an hour and had a massive shunt. Which brought the car in half. But quite quite intelligently, what he's managed to do is apparently it's very unlikely to be able to make two new sets of this bodywork in time for the Russian Grand Prix. There'll only be one. Oh, so and he'll get, get it again. again. Because there we go. So that's another three tens. It's a change. And uh, Sergio Perez was Sergio Perez and got the most out of what he had. I think this is Renault. Sergio Perez. No, Sergio Perez. Time. Move on to Renault. No, Sergio Perez is very rapidly becoming the Fernando Alonso of his time because he's getting at least what the car is capable of and possibly a bit more. They reckon that those bodywork parts were three tenths at least. And, and Perez was within that all the time. Very impressive. The other thing I'll say about the accident is just proves that that circuit should never have Formula One. Same, when we, I talked about Silverstone and about if Silverstone isn't big enough and safe enough for Formula One at the speeds they're going, then Mugello definitely isn't. Definitely well, is they're not. S- they're getting slower next year and slower even, even more the year after. So They'll have knows. to. Um, what do you say okay. next, Tim? Renault. Renault. Uh, I'll be really quick because John's waffling is taking us over time. All right. Esteban Ocon um, had to be retired because he had another one of the people who can't set their rear brakes up properly and overheated the rear brakes after some problems the first couple of laps. Danny Ricciardo was desperate to get third place. And I'm not going to mention why because I was so bored about hearing the reason for it on, uh, that I actually was I actually decided not to take my neutral don't tweet. I actually tweeted about it on Monday about how bored I was with comments going on about a particularly dumb bet. Anyway, didn't happen, came fourth, but he was very chuffed with himself for being fourth. Red Bull. Uh, Max Verstappen um, had an engine problem, which he didn't have, apparently, according to uh, uh, Christian Horner, on the way to the grid. It wasn't an engine problem at all on the way to the grid. It was just a software issue, apparently, on the way to the grid. But oddly, uh, when he came off the grid, again, the car didn't work properly. Mm. <laughs> hey, two problems at once. <laughs> What's the chance of that though? happening? Uh, and then he went up the straight and got clunked by um, the results of the Gasly cause incident. And came up, ended up in the gravel, and he was less upset about that because he was pretty convinced his race was over. Anyway, right. Alexander Albon can't start a car, but he can drive a car. And in all the restarts, he lost places. But as always, once he gets rolling, he's a very good little peddler and get past people. However, he still is particularly unconvincing as a suitable support to Max Verstappen, even though he got his first podium. And I think that Red Bull really need to start thinking about looking outside their own driver academy other drivers you are a top team don't saddle yourself with just what you've got left first Thai driver to get a podium in Formula 1 <laughs> yeah don't forget though is he's he Thai this no, week no, is he, he, he he's is been Thai for years every, no every single re- report I saw he was back to being the London born Thai driver Alex Albon this week because he's done right. well ok <laughs> ok right it's in Milton Keynes I should be, I should be nice to him shouldn't I really mm-hmm. uh, finally Maybe Mercedes uh, well Amazingly, um, you know, they won. <laughs> and that's all there is to say. More Valtteri. from Nick. Valtteri uh, wasn't very good, at, and uh, Lewis is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the Russian Grand Prix. Uh, but now we're going to move away from Formula One. and But it's still we, single-seaters. As we all know, it's a very different Le Mans 24-hour this oh. weekend. And earlier this week, John talked to the Vice President and Chief of Special Operations at Aston Martin Legendre and president of Aston Martin Racing, David King, about the changes in approach required of the entrance. Obviously, it's a strange one, that's stating the obvious, um, having having no, no fans or guests there. And uh, that's a huge change for us. You know, Le Mans, of all the races in the WEC calendar, is, is so important for Aston Martin because it's where we 
you know, we we normally have 500 guests with us in in our hospitality, and you know, about tens of thousands of travelling fans that you know that have come from mainly from the UK but all over Europe, and it's the it's the biggest um, fan and and customer and potential customer interaction that we that we have, I think, as a physical event. So to not have any of that there, to not have anybody to host, to look after, to explain what we're doing, to share the the the, the thrills and the the highs and lows with us is is, is uh, really really strange. I'm not quite sure how to how to prepare myself for it, to be honest. That's one side of it, of course, but the other side is the racing. I think it's you know we've all had a long spring and summer to think about it, and knowing that at some point we'll resume the season again, but not being able to do a huge amount by way of of extra preparation. Obviously, the cars were. Uh, a long time coming back from from the US after Kota and with the Sebring being being uh, canned and uh, people were were on were at home or on furlough so you know a lot of thinking time but the preparation time you know we've been going in earnest since uh, uh, since about a month before um, Spa getting the cars reprepared and but there's you know there's not a lot we can do to change the spec of the car or nothing at all in fact or the tires because uh, we're you know we are midway through the season up towards the end now um so it's it's been in the head really and, and making sure that people are back on full you know full readiness um, physically and mentally to get back in and try and win the race the, the good news for you i mean indeed everybody in the wec and the elms is there have been uh, opportunities to get out on track and be competitive because you can prepare as much as you want. Probably couldn't do the amount of testing you would have liked, but there's nothing like getting effectively to coin an old phrase, get back in the ring. You don't want to be ring rusty going to Le Mans, do you? No, and, and you know, the fact that we've, that we've had Spa um, has, has been great for everybody to get back up to speed and, and for drivers, you know, other races and opportunities to, uh, to get themselves uh, up and going. It feels like the season has been... Uh, has been uh, restarted for some time now, actually. So, uh, uh, no, we're as ready as we can be. And in September, then, there will be some significant differences in, in terms of how many hours of darkness that you and your teams will have to compete through. As soon as it was announced that the, the, the date of the of the reach schedule, um, I personally felt that was quite a significant change um, for the drivers more than anything. Yeah, it's a bit harder as a team member if you know, the, the hours of darkness tend to tend to uh, make it feel a bit more grueling. But you know, for the drivers, I you know, this is personal opinion only. You know, young eyes see better in the dark. Um, and however, however good a driver you are, however good your lights are, um, I think to me it feels like there's an extra advantage to the to the younger drivers with the with the best night vision. Um, It'll be interesting to see if that if that plays out in any way at all. All right, it's Le Mans. The challenge is always there against the clock, against the track, as, as well as the competitors that are out there. But there's a championship to win here as well, David. And everybody wants the Le Mans win, but the WEC championship is, I won't say there for the taking, but you could win the championship at Le Mans this weekend. That would be a nice double. It would, it would, John. Yes, but uh, you know the the scenarios required, particularly to win the manufacturer's title, w- w- with the fact that there's double points um, at Le Mans, are are, um, are quite uh, uh, convoluted, and we're not, you know, the, the best way to win the championship is to win Le Mans, um, and yeah, that's 
that's as important as winning the championship from a from a PR point of view, from a marketing point of view. So we're not going to be like uh, aiming for a certain finish and playing safe to win the championship. We're going to go all out to try and win win uh, win our class at Le Mans again. I, I would expect nothing. Uh, nothing other than that, David. Big, big and important time for motor racing, for Aston Martin as a car company. Uh, you've got the new Bond film coming out, which Aston Martin products fe- feature very heavily in, of course. DBX as well, featuring in the pre-Le Mans video. How do you feel Aston Martin are equipped going forward with that new product, with DBX particularly? Well, it's, you know, it's no... Um secret that it's been a bit of a roller coaster you know since last Le Mans where you and I Andy Palmer stood and announced our our, our hope car intentions you know a lot has changed since then um um Andy's no longer leading the company we've got a new new chief executive at the helm who we're all very excited about working with and you know despite the the some of the headwinds we faced um in the last year We've got a great product lineup. DBX has had some fantastic media reviews from the recent press launch. The factory's in full ramp up now. We're delivering cars to customers. It, it's definitely the, the right car that we need. We need at the moment, along with our strong sports car lineup, and, and plenty coming in the future. So, the Lawrence Stroll involvement and the appointment of Tobias really points to a I'm certain a, a, a stable future and, and uh, success and, and the good times to roll again. All automotive manufacturers, clearly through the time of COVID, had had their issues, no matter how big or how small. Are there things we can take forward as positives from what has been a very difficult time? For for business and industry as a whole, I think so. so certainly, John, yes. It's, we, we don't get a step change um, in the approach to homeworking or video conferencing or, or virtual marketing without some sort of um, earthquake type event. And that's what we had at the beginning of the year. It would have taken years to have gradually evolved and legislated towards the sort of working practices that we're seeing now. And uh, some of it is very good. Some of it is is, uh, is a compromise, no doubt. And um, in the end, you know, we're human beings and we want face-to-face interaction. And, sure. and um, particularly when you're looking to, to spend a lot of money on a on a luxury purchase like an Aston Martin, um, you know, we, we've... We need that face-to-face contact and that relationship building as well. And that's why it would be such a shame to be at Le Mans with uh, you know, probably, the, I, th- I think, I say our most competitive, um, our best opportunity with the new advantage yet, um, with no, no one there to, to share it with, except obviously um, the people that you'll be broadcasting to and, and the, and the uh, TV audience and online audience in general. Looking further afield, the end of the WEC season to come after Le Mans, how far dare you look ahead? Or is it, the again, another great cliche, is it one game at a time, the football cliche? Well, I'm afraid it's a bit of a boring answer, but I'm afraid it is, John, yeah. I mean, I, I think well, I don't think we'll be making any, any using Le Mans as a place to announce any, anything future again since last year. You know, it was... Uh, it's not the right time. It, it, it diverts away from from the, the task in hand. Um, obviously, we've we've committed to a long term future in GT racing. We're not going to be making any announcements now about um, about exactly what we're doing in the next few years, and uh, we're just focused on on Le Mans. And your customer racing, which is as strong as it's ever been, David. You've got 
Garage 59 at the 24 House of Nürburgring Street after Le Mans. Uh, we've been enjoying watching Aston Martins compete in the IMSA Championship as well uh, this year on the other side of the Atlantic. Things looking good for customer racing. They are, yeah. Despite you know the, the challenges, the COVID challenges, we've got we're very fortunate to have a you know a good group of of partner teams that have made some significant commitments to racing Aston Martins in various series around the world, and um, and that's very very important to us. Um, you know, Garage Fifty Nine in particular has stepped up and taken the the Nurburgring challenge on. Unfortunately, I, I won't be entering a car. Um, a, a, a factory-based car from the uh, from the uh, our Nurburgring Performance Centre this year for the first time in many years, um, just because of, of of COVID issues and and other priorities there. But uh, that's not to say we're retreating from it at all. It's it's an important part of what we do, and and Garage Fifty Nine are filling the filling the gap, and they'll be representing us um, this year with a new with a new GT4 upgrade. Um, is this a spiritual successor, effectively, to the GT8 then, David, that, that was in the, um, the, the, shall we say, the classic vantage yes, Exactly, it is, yes. It's, you know, the, you and I know how important Nürburgring has been and it's, the, the idiosyncrasies of its class system um, and the, multi, the number of classes as well. But there's a, a, a significant, well, there's a growing, growingly important class, the SP8T class, um, which is kind of sits in between GT4 and the, and the full-on GT3 or SP9 cars there. We think there's an, an, an important place to demonstrate our products and potentially a market. So the, the, the upgrade to, to the GT4, we're sort of unofficially calling the GT8R, um, is uh, puts the car in right competitive in that in that class. It's like a cup car sort of upgrade, and it will be, I hope, appealing elsewhere in other classes of racing as well in the future. So, uh, and Darren will be joining the uh, Garage 59 crew to uh, to make sure we've got you know a, a, an, a, an in-house pro within the team as well. And um, I'll be first year I won't be attending actually, but. Um, I'll be following carefully. David, thank you very much for joining us. I know how busy you are, and I know what strange times we're in. There'll be an awful lot of uh, fans who are following your progress with Aston Martin Racing at Le Mans 24 this year on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, and, of course, at the Nürburgring the week after. David King, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, John. Midweek Motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Less than the next hour, actually, because we've gone into hour number two. Thank you to David for joining us earlier on uh, uh, in, in what was is a very, very busy week. Add spec entertainment, please, if you don't mind. Dave Alcock says DBX will be to Aston Martin's financial future what Cayenne was to Porsche, a fiscally pivotal product. Don't disagree with that at all, David. Add spec entertainment. Uh, if you'd like to speak to us. Coming up, Alexander Virch joins us from Le Mans. Uh, we've got some bike news. Shea Adam joins us with news from Nashville. And it's not the Country Music Awards. Well, actually, it is tonight. Uh, and next, uh, we have a technical update on Le Mans from Race Car Engineering's new deputy editor. That's Stuart Mitchell Midweek on Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport. On RadioLeMans.com. 
So with Le Mans just around the corner and plenty of live broadcasting to come this week on Haggerty Radio Le Mans on RS1, starting from Free Practice 1 on Thursday morning, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to get you up to speed uh, with some of your homework. Hopefully you've uh, listened to the previews. If not, they're available on the archive. And we're going to welcome for the first time to Midweek Motorsport and the Radio Show Limited network of channels, Stuart Mitchell, who uh, is now Deputy Editor of Race Car Engineering, but no stranger to that august publication. Uh, his career has come full circle. Uh, welcome back to Race Car Engineering and welcome to, for the first time, Stuart, to Midweek Motorsport. Thank you very much. I'm really, uh, really chuffed to be here. Good to, uh, good to be here. Good to talk to you guys. I, I want to start off with dispelling a common misconception about this year's Le Mans. This year's Le Mans, everybody is telling me, is not worth watching. It's it's a lame duck Le Mans. It's the end of a set of regulations. Nothing interesting out there. And to put that in perspective, I think we've probably got to go back. I was going to say 12 months there. We've got to go back to June 2019 and put that race in perspective and see what's changed and what hasn't. Is that a fair comment? That's absolutely fair, indeed. Of course, Something to consider that, of course, the readers and the listeners and everybody who's into motorsport will know is that 2019 was bizarre because it was the second running of Le Mans in a single season. And that meant that there was some technical challenges that weren't obvious um, or or obvious areas that people could do lots of development in from one season to the next. Uh, So, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting one for sure. And why is that important as we look at 2020, Stuart? Well, this is important because if you consider 2018 and 2019 races to be as close as possible to exactly the same car when you consider the Toyota, um, then the the challenges that they faced uh, in 2018 um, could have proved to be the same challenges that they faced in 2019. Of course, there were different challenges in, in the specific races with the 2019 uh, race, of course, being a bit strange in the very last hour with the number seven car typically being faster throughout the entire race, but then suffered problems from a tire pressure monitoring system. Um, that, that meant the number eight car actually, uh, came past and took the win, but the number eight car for 250 of its fastest laps was almost three quarters of a second slower than the number seven car. So it, uh, on paper shouldn't have won. And that's what the challenge of Le Mans is all about. Yeah, because it isn't run on paper as we've heard many, many times in the past. Now, Fast forward from there then, and we'll, we'll stick with the, the prototypes at the sharp end of the field, to this year, and what similarities, what differences have we got as far as the technical challenges are concerned for the top teams? Well, from Toyota's perspective, not a huge amount has changed. Um, what they have tried to do is, uh, again, try to bring in the uh, non-hybrids a little bit closer in terms of overall performance. Um, but I'm sure what we will uh, what we'll see here in terms of on-track performance is the same that we saw in the last couple of years, which is the non-hybrids will have an advantage in sector one, um, where it is uh, a little bit different for the Toyotas, and they can't actually deliver all their power from the hybrid system quite as effectively as they can in sector two and three, where the Toyotas will no doubt be uh, be higher on performance there. And we should point out that although this is a round of the WEC, it doesn't run to exactly the same sporting regulations and, and therefore the, the technical uh, requirements 
as the rest of the WEC, particularly when it comes to equalisation of technology, a balance of performance, dynamic, whatever it's called nowadays? <laughs> yes, yes, certainly. So the equivalence of technology was obviously brought in to balance all of the hybrid cars from the different manufacturers who had different ways of approaching what was a hybrid system and, and the powertrain that they brought in being completely different and different fuels, whereas now it's trying to match hybrid and non-hybrid. Um, they've The ACO have had to fiddle it a little bit more. So it's everything from the amount of fuel you can carry on board, a uh, maximum amount of fuel, which is obviously focusing on stint lengths. Um, and for the hybrid guys, in particular Toyota here, uh, with the amount of power they can deliver from the hybrid system still set at 300 kilowatts, which is capped compared to what they can do on other tracks throughout the WEC season. And in terms of lap stints, what do we think that the ACO are aiming at? I know it might not be exactly what we get because the teams are clever and they'll they'll have their own ideas in strategic terms. But what are the ACO aiming for then with the, those regulations? I think we'll see a very similar stint length. So for the Toyota, it will um, probably still be around the 11 lap stint. Uh, which we should probably expect for the, if we were to compare it to 2019, uh, around 385 laps over the course of the 24 hours that will bring in a 34 pit stops in all. Wow. And and roughly the same for, I like the fact that you're predicting this this early. That's fantastic. I'm writing all this down now, to be honest, Stuart. Um, and, and roughly the same then, 10, 11 laps in for the non-hybrid P1s as well. Uh, the non-hybrids, yeah, they won't be too far different. Um, I think that they should be able to maybe do one more. Um, it uh, really depends on how uh, how how they're going to balance the sort of lap time performance, if you like. So if you look at 2017, where you had the fastest qualifying lap, that's that has uh, stayed very similar since, since 2017, which means that the, the performance differentiating elements that the ACO have tried to bring into Toyota um, will see them bring them closer and closer to the rest of the field. So I can't imagine it's going to be much different um, for the uh, non-hybrid LMP1s. The reliability will play a much bigger factor, I'm sure, in, in that battle. Whilst we're continuing to dispel then this being a lame duck Le Mans, there's plenty of reasons to watch in all through the classes, not least in the top class, because this... Will, he says, with sort of italics and, and possibly a little question mark behind it, this will be the last time we see the TSO 50. I know it's been the TSO 50 for a while in different um, iterations for Toyota, but th- this is the last outing then at Le Mans for the TSO 50. This is in its current spec, but that isn't to say that they haven't uh, developed anything that they can't carry forward. So, We've got to remember that Toyota started their journey here into hybrid racing uh, for endurance uh, racing uh, back in 2010. And when they did so, they were uh, looking at Audi being the competitor. Mm. So their entire target was looking at somebody who had been there for a very long time by that stage. And of course, for the 10 previous years, funnily enough, interesting that decade cyclical nature of what of what was going on. Yes, absolutely. So when Toyota decided, okay, we're going to go to Le Mans under the regulations that were around at that time, back in 2010, they targeted Audi. And they basically were just monitoring Audi saying, look, what are their weaknesses? What are their, what does their powertrain do? And how can we battle it? Then, of course, in 2012, the WEC, as we know it now, was was brought to 
brought to Le Mans or brought Le Mans into it. Um, and then in 2014, we got fuel flow regulated formula. So it's been 10 years of development um, that has included, you know, trying to just focus on Audi and then, of course, competition then brought in from the likes of Porsche and then mm. Nissan in 2015. So they've had a lot of different uh, iterations of the TSO. Um, and it was the TSO 3.0, then the TSO 4.0, TSO 5.0, as we've got it now. Um, over the course of those years, and they have a lot of technology on board that car that will transfer to the new regulations that will be brought in in 2021 onwards. I was going to ask that question. That might not play out this year necessarily in things that we can see, but how much of that do you look at those new regulations and uh, we expect those to be enforced for, for, for next season? There's no word yet from the ACO that they will be postponed for a year. All the been a few hints but potentially we don't expect that to happen how much is relevant then uh, in terms of what they've learned technically mechanically the way systems interact and how the regulations then would formulate their thinking as to what their quote-unquote new car uh, would look like a lot of it is transferable so as we look forward to the new regulations, we have been told that they will be hybrid um, and that the cars will be a little bit closer to a, a sort of a, a road going vehicle in terms of its general construction. Um, and in terms of powertrain, we're looking at very similar uh, sort of equivalents of technology having to be brought in to balance each of the different players. So we haven't had confirmation from uh, many different people saying we, we are committed to these regulations because they haven't been completely laid out. But if they are hybrid and they are going to Le Mans, you best believe that 10 years of data yeah. is going to come in handy. Whether they change the engine itself, you know, the, the current 2.4 litre V6 twin turbo and the two hybrid systems, the, the K hybrid systems they run on each axle to something different, I'm not sure. But you best believe that the data they've collected will be uh, very, very influential when they start to lay out if they haven't already exactly how the powertrain is going to look for 2021 onwards. And getting closer to road car looks, if not direct technology, very important for major manufacturers in a week when we've already had Alpine commit to 2021 season uh, with an LMP1, albeit um, with a non-hybrid car. We're expecting to hear something more concrete from Peugeot, who said that they wanted to be involved in hypercar as, as it was then then called. So uh, looking forward and using this year as a, as, a, as a stepping stone or a springboard is, is not the worst thing to do, particularly for Toyota's points of view, Stuart, because I think they're unique in that their motor racing, uh, endurance motor racing, is not funded from PR and marketing. I'm led to believe it's funded from road car R&D because they honestly believe that they are getting a technology bonus, a technology premium, if you will, dividend was the word I was looking for, technology dividend, that they can cycle back into their streetcars. Nobody's suggesting that the engine or the hybrid system is going to turn up in the next Corolla or, or, or Prius, but they do believe they're getting something out of it, and that's why it's underwritten by road car R&D. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you're right. OK, so we're not going to see a, a, a Prius with uh, the, the quoted thousand uh, horsepower output uh, that we see from the Could TSO. Be fun. 
make the yeah. next Uber journey quite fun, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not much space for uh, passengers, but it's. Um, you're absolutely right. The technology transfer is there. And so being being pushed from an R&D perspective rather than a marketing perspective also gives them opportunities to explore things that um, otherwise would be very difficult to get the board above them, so to speak, above the race team uh, to commit to. So having engineering as the sort of the force behind the money that goes into these projects means that they can discover all sorts of different things and they can explore all sorts of different things that can be relevant to, to road cars going forward. So, of course, in this current setup, you know, with the amount of power output it, it produces, you know, twin twin drive systems on front and rear axle, um, and, a, and a hugely efficient engine uh, in the middle may not develop into a, a, a road car powertrain in this current setup. But you better believe that the likes of the uh, the injection timing and the, the combustion information that they're gathering oh, wow. every single time the engine goes bang as they're doing all 24 hours of Le Mans goes into a huge data set that they can then use to extrapolate information from. And they will then take that information and be able to house an engine that is obviously a lot cheaper, obviously a lot more uh, producible in higher volumes that, uh, mm. that they can use for, for road cars. And uh, one thing that's really important to note from Toyota themselves, um, Toyota Gazoo Racing, as we know it in WEC, um, is covering very different platforms in racing as well. And there's there's technology transfer and discussions between each of the different teams that Toyota is running. You've got to remember really? they have TRD in NASCAR in the United States, Toyota Racing Development Group over there. They've got WRC. Um, in the World Rally Championship, which is now running 1,600cc turbocharged mm. engines, which are air-limited engines rather than fuel-limited engines like we've got in Le Mans. Um, and, of course, they've got their you know, WEC program. And you know, speaking to the engineers in the WEC program, they've taken information and lessons learned from the time that Toyota was in IndyCar back in the wow. 1990s. So this, this is an enormous company. And they, they take knowledge and they transfer knowledge and the, the energy and the time and the effort and the money spent in racing will go into a car that you, you purchase off the lot when you go to buy a Toyota. Um, exactly where it ends up, I'm not entirely sure, but it's, it's there and that's how they do it. It might even just be a bit of code or the way that the systems react together and, and work together because that's been another, I know that's been a huge area of development for for the LMP1 hybrids that has found its way back into road car. Let, let's push away from LMP1. And it's, it's not that I want to um, completely... Well, actually, first of all, before we do, is there anything specific that we should know about the, the, non, the non-hybrid cars? Just a couple of rebellions now and the bi-collars. No uh, Janetta, unfortunately. Anything there that is particularly interesting that, that's from a technological or a technology standpoint? Well, the one interesting thing that, that was happening last year, which was a bit bizarre, was that the, the fuel flow for those um, LMP1 non-hybrids kept changing throughout the season. So they ended up starting the season with 108 um, kilograms per hour fuel flow rate, then it went up to uh, 110, then 115. It, it sort of it made it a little bit challenging for, for tuning the engines. And of course, if you start with an with the sort of regulations when you're designing an engine, um, particularly talking to the likes of Gibson, um, they they start with the, the the regulations. So they have a combustion system that they want to then house an engine around based on a fuel flow rate. 
it becomes very challenging when the ACO uh, start uh, manipulating those figures because it's they now have to completely optimize the engine software Got to you. try to work with new flow rates. So um, with that being sort of a little bit more stable now, um, I think that they'll have a, a better setup in terms of overall tuning. Um, and I think that, you know, generally we're not going to see too much difference um, from, from last year to this year in, in that field. You mentioned Gibson there, of course, they are the engine supply for the Hall of the 24-car LMP2 field. Uh, nobody can say that that is a formula that isn't working and it hasn't worked. Uh, new LMP2 regulations, uh, we're on the doorstep of them uh, at the moment. Anything different that we've got to look at this year in, in terms of that fantastic field? It's it's incredibly competitive. Um, the the only the only downside I suppose is that uh, the formula seems to be the Orica chassis. Yeah. Uh, so of course there are other manufacturers of chassis that uh, unfortunately no one seems to have selected. Uh, and you know that that's all, all credit to Orica where it's deserved. Of course they've produced a car that seems to be, you know, the top of its class or or, or otherwise. So uh, in LMP2, of course, like you said, Gibson Gibson engine all the way through. It is a uh, a uh, slightly smaller capacity than what they have in LMP1. It's the same uh, same uh, sort of naturally aspirated 90-degree V8 engine. Um, it's now producing, you know, some serious horsepower. So the cars are incredibly competitive. And given that they're so fast, this is where the discussion comes back into hmm. the new regulations for 2021 onwards for the top class. Um, how are they going to keep them away from uh, from LMP2s, you know, um, knocking at the door? So. It's uh, it's it's an incredibly competitive field. Um, I think all the teams that are in LMP2 now um, have a serious understanding of their of their um, equipment. So they yeah, there's, it's going to be impossible to choose between them. There is a bit of a tire war, only a bit of a one there. I think there's five Goodyear shod cars in amongst the whatever the collective noun for Michelins uh, are, which keeps things interesting as well. That that might not continue too far into the future because like any series, I know that the ACO, the WEC, uh, and particularly at the moment, they're, they're looking for other ways to get in some finance and single uh, solace tyre manufacturers, supplies, should I say, in the classes. So that's something that we've got to keep an eye out as well. And, and I hear that if there is any rain this week, that the Goodyear intermediates might be the ones to have. Even the, the Michelin runners seeing that they feel that those tyres, from what they've seen, in the WAC this year uh, might just be a bit special. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because when you when you consider an intermediate, intermediate of course has to deal with uh, surface water, um, but it also has to have decent grip and and temperature and be able to come up to temperature, stay in its temperature window um, as the conditions are changing. That being intermediate, you know, it's in between wet and dry. Um, and, and the way that the performance is achieved in some tyres is core temperature and others is surface temperature. So I couldn't tell you exactly what uh, what the solutions between the two different manufacturers are, but uh, certainly one seems to be uh, poised to be performing better than another in those conditions. Let's move on to the GT classes. GTE Pro, um, a small field this year, the understandable withdrawal of Corvette Racing because of the travel restrictions they realised early on, I think, that they were up against it. The Porsche USA cars, the North American GT team, that was more for financial reasons. Every part of Porsche 
having to make some savings. That was Porsche Racing. Like many manufacturers, they've been shut down for, I think, over three months. They weren't building uh, any any cars. And, and we've got an interloper in there. And this is an interesting one um, because we've had the WeatherTech Ferrari jump into there because they feel they've got more chance in that pro field than they than they have in a 22-car field of AMS. Um, as far as... That's a, that's a strategic uh, decision by them. Uh, technically, then... Um, Porsches, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time we've seen the 19 Porsches at Le Mans? Were they, I can't even remember now it's so far, but were they, they weren't around at, at Le Mans last year, were they? No, they weren't. So this this is the, uh, how do we explain it? It's it's the same RSR, but um, but of course they've, they've now got a different, different setup. So it's instead of the 4-litre, um, oh, sorry, the 3.8 liter that they were running in previous years, uh, the four liter naturally aspirated engine is uh, is now what what they've got for the RSR 19. So this is the same spec that they were running last year in the IMSA series, but of course because last year in WEC was a super season, they weren't bring it, they didn't bring it in. Right, uh, and so not Le Mans proven at the moment, although plenty of miles under. It's wheels in in IMSA, including some pretty tough long distance races. There, most people would be disappointed not to see the Corvettes. We could have waxed on long and lyrical about a mid-engine C8R coming to Le Mans for the first time. We're going to have to wait another year for that, Stuart. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Of course, it's it's been impressive in IMSA, mm. um, but um, yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to see it this time round. Uh, it would have been interesting to see how how it's Agreed. obviously adapted to that um, and how it how it's going to uh, fare against the the teams in a in what is you know an extremely fast race you know in terms of top speed so you know that those those classic drag races that we see um, you know out of the chicanes on the on the straight it's just it would just be brilliant to see how the how the the, the Corvette would have fared there but um, we'll uh, we'll have to wait we will indeed GTE Am. 22 cars, as I mentioned, a um, couple of Astons, a few Porsches, and a horde of Ferraris. Almost looks like a Ferrari challenge race at points. And uh, I was never very good at differential equations. Can you throw any light at all on these refueling regulations to a, to a lay person and a bear of small brain like myself? It, it seems very, very complicated. It, it is, and the answer to your question is no. I can't shed too much light, but in short, of course, it's to try to improve the, the sporting side um, and mean that it's a little bit more uh, competitive when right. people come into the pit lane. Um, I think that what, what's actually happened is that for teams that aren't aren't well equipped or prepared, so to speak, um, when it comes to the car coming in and stopping and, and getting it back out quickly, um, this will allow for a little bit more of an equal battle. That's that's kind of the gist. In the past, the the ACO have come out with some very technical regulations. I think particularly when they announced the uh, hybrid regs for P1, and quite a lot of us scratched our heads at that. Ultimately, when we saw them in practice, it didn't matter what the language was. It didn't matter what the equations or the algorithms were. It produced fantastic racing. Is that what they're trying to do here, Stuart? And and what I what. Uh, there are some series who try and equalise pit stops so that saving fuel, actually, to me, one of the most important parts of endurance racing, going fast but saving fuel, 
they've almost sort of legislated that out. Is that what this is going to do, or is it fundamentally not going to do that? It it will make it it will make it a slightly different challenge uh, for for the teams that were very good at managing fuel. Uh, so the, the thing about all GT cars in this field and and in most endurance racing fields is that you've got professional drivers and you've got amateur drivers and what you'll notice is that you 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 can get both of those guys or girls to drive these cars very very fast but the car has to be able to react to all types of input whether it's really heavy-handed input from somebody who's maybe uh, a little bit heavy-footed um, and therefore they start using more fuel or they get onto uh, they, they get onto the brakes earlier and there's a little bit more off-throttle time you know all of those different elements um, mean that if you have drivers that are very, very good at doing that and managing that and are a little bit cleaner when it comes to on-throttle and actually end up saving fuel, then they're just going to drive away with it because mm. the cars are exactly the same. So suddenly your advantage is massive. So bringing in the opportunity mm. to try to equalize how refueling is, is, is handled means that those those gaps will be closer. So for those people who have more experience, you know whether they're still amateur drivers or considered amateur drivers, um, those with more experience won't have as much of an advantage on the track. Do you think this is something that we might see being adopted in other classes going forward from the ACO and the WEC, particularly particularly in the longer races? Is that what we're seeing here, sort of a trial? of The, the proof of the pudding's in the eating, of course, and we'll know partway through the race perhaps, but certainly by the end of the race, what effect it's had. On, on the race. If it's a success, is this something that we might say ruled out? Um, I, I, it may be. It may be. It's, it's one of those things which is quite hard to, to know, like you said, until the, the proof is, is there. But from, from the perspective of the, the sporting side, when you want people to be able to come to Le Mans, they want to be able to race. They want mm. to be able to properly compete in whatever class. Um, and to be able to introduce more people um, is better. So the more teams that can turn up and say, okay, we haven't had much testing or we haven't, we don't have drivers that have, you know, 150, 200 hours of endurance racing under their belt. Um, they can get into the cars and they can be competitive on raw pace alone. Mm -hmm. And the losses won't be so, so extreme when it comes to, uh, to the pit stops and so on. So, um, in particular, uh, and one thing I mentioned earlier, which was a mistake. In fact, it's not, um, the, the new car from Porsche, the new RSR is actually a 4.2 litre engine, yes. yeah. 4.195 litre engine rather than the 4 litre that was before. I, I noticed I made a mistake saying it was the 3.8. It was a 4 litre um, before um, this iteration. So this is a slightly bigger engine. Um, and the, the, the advantages that Porsche have had in GTE Pro, for example, over mm. the last few years have been because of very, very close attention being paid to the regulations. And again, thinking about the fact that this is a long race, and even the professional drivers make mistakes. So the car can't be too aggressive, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's um, yeah, it's, it's really paid dividends there. And if you've terms. if you've seen the gaps between the cylinders, uh, cylinder bores on that 4.195 engine, you'll realise they can't go out to 4.195 one or two that there's literally nothing left in boring that engine out Stuart, Stuart tough <laughs> question uh, but I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you anyway what are you looking forward to the most then in terms of what we'll see in Le Mans week and over Le Mans weekend from 
a technical standpoint, is there something that you're waiting to see? Oh, well that is that going to work? Is that not going to work? Is there something that you want to see whether it's proved in terms of technology or not? Or is it just going to be the general synopsis that you'll be looking at and, and mulling over on Monday morning next? I think that because this is the swan song, if you like, for Toyota, I genuinely think that they might have the capacity to turn it up. Um, I know that they have had, uh, if, you, if you look at last year, for example, you look at the 2019 Le Mans, um, they had an almost faultless Le Mans until the uh, issues with the, the sensors on board the number seven car, which for whatever reason didn't translate to the pit lane and they came in with the car, changed the front left when in fact it was the rear left that was deflating. Um, and that obviously pushed the car out of contention for the lead and the number eight car came by. Um, they basically just had to manage a no-problems race, avoiding mistakes and accidents or and reducing risk-taking um, to a minimum throughout that because the modified EOT that allowed improved performance uh, for the non-hybrid cars um, still meant that they just didn't really have much of a chance. So maybe Toyota will have an opportunity here to wind it all up a little bit more. Of course, they've got so much experience under their belt now. They've obviously won the race a few times now. So it's the, the opportunity is there to say, okay, well, why don't we just stretch the legs on this thing? We, we know that we've got, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got in, in hand uh, a certain level that they will manage as a nominal level of output. Yes. Um, and then what is, what is the full potential? Does that translate to a crack at the qualifying record or the distance record? What, what do you think? Because they'll want to get some PR... A percentage premium out of that, won't they? <laughs> yeah, certainly. Well, of course, Kamui Kobayashi's lap in 2017 was just phenomenal. Extraordinary. Um, but if you look at 2018, 2019, the, the, the delta there isn't huge. So uh, with 2018 and 2019, both without the, the huge competition of the likes of Porsche and then before that in 2016, Audi, um, and before that with Nissan as well in 2015, mm. Um, of course, they you would think they, they would be a little bit more conservative in 2018 and 2019, um, given that they know that they can win a little bit more uh, or, or the cards are a little bit more in their favor. So with 2020 being the swan song, um, I think maybe, maybe we might see one of the cars wound up a little bit to try to see what they can uh, achieve on that one lap. Uh, and does the new qualifying Hyperpole, Hyperpole on Friday. Does that help them or not? There's still going to be 24 cars out, top six in each of the four classes. Does that help them? It's at a different time of day, perhaps potentially quite a bit warmer than normally doing a, an evening. Normally we say just before the break, just after the break, or just going up to midnight French time is when we see the really fast laps going when the air is the old drag racing guys used to say when the air is fat. Uh, does, yeah. does that make it a bigger challenge for them, Stuart? Well, this is an interesting one. You mentioned the drag racing guys with those comments. So this is where it's very, very different in, in uh, Le Mans trim. So you've got to remember that almost 50% of the output of this Toyota is from electric drive. And the electric drive doesn't really care what the air is like. Good point. Uh, and if anything, an electric car will probably go a little bit quicker in a thinner air uh, scenario because of aerodynamic influence being that the density is lower. So there is every opportunity for this to be a, a quick, a quick run, um, and with the number of cars on track, it, it's it's a little bit difficult because the pace is the the pace will be very different. Um, there won't be much in the way of tow that they can achieve from mm. 
um, from from the much slower cars. Um, but if there are other cars on track that uh, are there or thereabouts, um, then strategically finding a spot, a bit like what you see in Formula One nowadays with the huge trains that mm. seem to back up all the way through the field, um, being able to tow could be uh, could be an interesting one here as well. So there we are then, Stuart Mitchell, the assistant editor of Race Car Engineering, putting to bed, I hope, for everybody listening, that this Le Mans isn't worth looking at. We've had half an hour of him there, and we've barely scratched the surface of it. Stuart, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and hopefully you'll find some time to come back and join us during our live shows at Haggerty Radio Le Mans this week as well. Yeah, certainly. I really appreciate it, and yeah, look forward to talking to you guys again. Stuart Mitchell is this week's big interview, and uh, a couple of weeks ago on our big interview... We spoke to Richard Dean from uh, United Autosport uh, and they've been in the news again this week because they've bought another sports car team, Stracker Racing. Uh, some of the assets, yes, it would it would appear. You remember he was talking, uh, to, was it after Spa? It was after Spa, yes. I spoke to him at Spa at ELMS and Deany was Was it after quite ELMS clear. or after work? ELMS. Um, and he was quite clear that although their plans weren't going exactly where they'd expected, uh, they were going back to GT Race. Remember, they started with a an Audi um, United, went racing with a, an Audi GT car, uh, GT3, Audi R8 it would have been. And uh, he said they were hoping to get back into GT3, but that might have to take a year's sabbatical but gt4 was still very much on the cards for 2021 and the purchase of stracker's assets then has allowed them to shortcut uh, a little bit there we know a couple of people there brothers don't we yeah yeah, yeah. and they're, yeah, they're, good a good, they're a good setup as we know from what they've I, done in, in wac and uh, and p2 in ELMS. elms and i, I just cocked back to a conversation i had with richard a few years ago when they were just beginning to start off their LMP3. And I said, are you thinking about an LMP2? And he said, there's plenty of time for that. And look where they are now. Yeah, they're... You know, I mean, they came fourth last year, let's not forget, which turned into um, a third uh, when the the cars went through tech. Um, So they got a podium with a Ligier. Let's not forget. Uh, More sports cars, Tim? Well, Going to say, um, in response to what Joe just said, and I've completely lost the thread of uh, that now. Oh, yes, not just um, winning an LMP2 in the European Le Mans series, but absolutely dominating LMP2 in the Le Mans series. And yet, in our LMP2 preview for Le Mans, nobody has picked a United car. I, well, I did. For I didn't prediction. pick. I didn't have a pick. If I if I'd have picked, pick. I would have picked. The, I would have picked. The, the, I would have picked United. There are only yeah. two pick. There are only two picks. And that was Johnny and Shay. Yes. So and that's they're both what, wrong. What two sixths of the team of the voices on the team, let alone the guests on the team, all the backstage people. And we, we usually we've got plenty of time to talk yeah, about exactly. that on Thursday Indeed. and Friday and, and Saturday morning. And if you morning. haven't heard uh, those previews. Uh, then why not? Because uh, they've been running for over a week now. They will be repeated back to back immediately after Midweek Most Sports. Oh, tonight. really? Yes. All right. And they're I'll, all available gonna... to download on demand on the website and on your favourite uh, podcast uh, distributor. 
Uh, and I have just tweeted, by the way, Dev Alcock says, risk car engineering have a knack of finding technically superb people who are able to give lucid, straightforward explanations. Really enjoyed the interview with Stuart. Welcome back uh, to uh, RE for, uh, for Stuart, where he started his career. And you will hear him on Haggerty Radio Le Mans throughout the week as well as we find out a little more. Andrew Cotton is uh, also going to be patrolling the paddock and the pits for us trying to give us, he's the editor of Daily, uh, of, Daily, of um, Risk Car Engineering, and he will be uh, giving us some technical lowdown as well as we go through the week on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, which starts tomorrow morning. Go to radio-show.co.uk, look at RS1's calendar, and you'll find out when in your time zone. Final sports car story, Tim? Uh, well, it uh, is about the former neighbours of United Autosport, uh, right. Janetta, who yes, they were across as, the road. Yes, as we've mentioned, uh, not just in that interview with Stuart, but also Stephen Kill, we mentioned it earlier, uh, will not be at them on this year due to uh, the coronavirus, and and that means they haven't raced since the back end of of last year in the WEC, and you've got to wonder, Nick, whether we're going to see them at the final race uh, of the season in in Bahrain. I mean entirely sensible as I said with Stuart there the reasons why they didn't want to go the the quarantine regulations between the UK and France have changed and the exemptions from MSUK uh, meant that they wouldn't have been able to operate their the guys in the factory because you've, you've got to be doing exactly it's, it's all cha- MSUK came out with some new directives on Monday and basically, it means that anybody that goes to Le Mans and then comes back and does anything other than the same type of motor racing isn't exempt from the the, the quarantine. Okay. You're not, so you're not many Janettas. Uh, uh, no, I'd say right now that, that I don't... I. What can I say which doesn't get anyone into any trouble? I think that is a convenient excuse. Okay. Yeah, all right. It's a shame because that, that they're not there, but they are massively short of, of uh, race prep uh, and going into a 24-hour race, having not raced for 11 months. It's not the way you want to go for it, is it? No, I, I kind of concur with Nick, um, and I know what he's alluding to, and you've got to say that if you, you know, if, if that's where those cars are meant to be, that sort of everything, you know, even the World Endurance Championship centres around this weekend at the Le Mans 24 hours, that's where, you know, the, the heart of the, the very soul of endurance racing, why would you not want to be there? Why would you not have pulled and ploughed all of your resources? And so what if you quarantine for two weeks? What are, what are we going to do in the next two weeks? Well, Janessa uh, staff have got a host of national championships that they're supposed to be running the following yes, weekend exactly. at Silverstone. Oh, that's, a good point. that's a good point. Yeah, and they wouldn't have been able to support that because the MSUK... Um, exemptions now are very, very specific. They're they're not just open-ended. Anyway, we'll leave that for other people to discuss. Uh, We've got Alexander Wirtz coming up before the end of the show. We'll be talking Toyota with him. But now let's move on to a bit of other news. Tim, what have you got? Yes, and first of all, can we say good evening to Shay Adam? Hello. (laughs) She's there. As ever, hello. She's, that is not just a hotkey. A hotkey. Mm. Although, if I said hello to and good evening to Shay Adam, she would say hello. 
<laughs> honestly, we could have that on a hot key, could we? It's too fun. It is, it is far too easy. How are you, Shea? Are you fitting well? I'm good. Yeah, thanks. How are you? Very well. Very well. Uh, ready to be part of the VP Racing Pit and Paddock team for Haggerty Radio Le Mans? I am ready to set my alarm for a very scary number tomorrow. Yes, I am. Let's right. go. Okay, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, what do you want to talk to Shea about tonight? Uh, Tim I want to ask a question, which is, Shay, can you name an IndyCar driver from Nashville? Joseph Newgarden. Let's hear from Joseph Newgarden, then. I can find the right mouse. It's this one. <laughs> you need the hotkey. Probably. Okay, so that doesn't seem to want to play. <laughs> well, I think what John just said is perfectly true. He said, ever since I was a small boy, I've always wanted to race in my own town. I've never been able to yeah. do it, and it's a great opportunity. Let's try and now. This is be- okay. Well, I think I can, I can speak for all the IndyCar drivers and tell you that this is going to be the number one destination outside of the Indy 500 next year. Uh, we always mark the Indy 500 as a, as, a, as a key point for us, but every driver that I've spoke to that's heard about Nashville... They want to come to this event, and they want to succeed. So for me, it's going to be the, probably the second most pressure-filled event to get right. You know, how do we win this race uh, with Team Penske next year? But I'm, I'm so excited, so proud to be from Nashville. It's just a good coincidence, I guess. But um, I never dreamed of, of being able to drive for Roger Penske one day in the IndyCar Series and certainly to, to run a race in my own hometown uh, with, with a great team behind me like this. So it's going to be a big year uh, to come to Nashville in, in 2021. He almost said what we said he was going to say. This is all because of <laughs> of, uh, of 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 them going to where? Where's the track here? And, and what are we going to be getting? Listen, I, I'm absolutely with Joseph. I love Nashville. I've only been there once. I need to go back um, many times because I've only scratched the surface. Where are they going to be racing? You do know that it's it's not Connie Britton, Nashville, John. I'm, I hate to disappoint you. She's not going to be at the track the whole time. Although, I, if she dro- was, it'd be pretty cool. Listen, be. I drove past Highway 65 Records. It's still a storefront <laughs> right there. I drove I drove past it because, you know, as, as, far as, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Raina James is Nashville. That's as simple it, as that. Yeah, and I totally don't blame you. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, go watch the series. It's worth it. Um, it's a really cool track. I have to say the layout, which was released today, it's only 2.17 miles. Um, 11 turns. Yes, 11 is the last number I can see. But a really neat layout that actually has it going over a bridge over the Cumberland River twice. So oh, you wow. go over one side and come back the other after a bunch of little twisty bits uh, through the end of the lap. But it runs past the Nissan Stadium, which is where the Tennessee Titans play football. Mm-hmm. It's in and around their parking lot, in effect, but a very different idea than running the Grand Prix of Miami because this is actually downtown. Yeah, really um, is. And it is a, it's a great-looking track with long straights, but also it, it's going to be very fast and flowing. So even though it's only two miles, I think it's going to be a really wicked circuit. The only problem that I have with it, John, is that we can't go to the race because IMSA is going to be at Road America that same weekend, which has huge implications because there is a lot Ooh. of the paddock that tends to work in both series. Yeah, and in fact, we had some changes in days, didn't we, at VIR? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I accept that was for the, the Indy 500. Um but okay, so we have that to look forward to, Tim. Very briefly, Jimmy Johnson's Sebel Day. Oh, yes. 
Yes. So Jimmy Johnson, hello. Welcome to IndyCar. This is going to be awesome. They announced that he is going to run the street and road courses with Chip Ganassi Racing in 2021 and 22. It's an announcement to try and draw up some sponsor interest. So they don't actually yet have a program established, but they have a team and they have an intent, which is just really awesome. The other thing is Seb Bourdais, after a year in IMSA, has declared that he is going back to race with AJ Foyt next year in IndyCar once again. It's sort of his uh, ceremonial home. It's where he feels more at home. But that does mean that he will not be back with JDC Miller Motorsports and Mustang Sampling Racing for next year because there are too many clashes. Uh, just to say that Alan Prosser... Uh, needs another quick hello from Shea because he's going to use that as his new message alert. Shea, Adam? Hello, Alan. Oh, do that again. <laughs> hello, Alan. Very good. We'll just add other things onto that, Nick. How come Shea has managed to get her catchphrase in 17 times? I wasn't allowed to do mine once. Nah, because you do because it Tim it wrote a rubbish joke. It, That's it, why. It wasn't... It, it, it wasn't safe on that circuit oh, this right. weekend. Oh, right. Oh, I was going to blow the... Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it, was, it okay. wasn't safe on that circuit to right. do her own. Right. The FIA have realised that. <laughs> uh, Obviously, Haggerty Radio Le Mans is uh, all of this week here on RS1. But over on RS3 tomorrow night at 8, it's the Torah Radio Show. And this week, it's Matt and Jordan. They'll be talking about virtual reality in racing games, some very expensive rig setups from Lamborghini and Aston Martin Racing, and the latest update from Race Room. Delighted to say that we are joined by Alex Vert, who's at Le Mans at the moment uh, in his role with Toyota Gazoo Racing. A, a, a very different Le Mans this year, Alex, uh, early in the week, I know, but have you noticed the difference already? Uh, well, first, hello everyone. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for Le Mans having us here, but unfortunately, us is such a limited number, means just the racing teams and the drivers. And I came in this morning where usually the fields would be full of fans and tents and shops. And it's like, oh my God, it, it hit me so hard that there's no one here. So it, it was a, actually a sad moment because, um, it, it just sometimes reality is around us, but in this moment it just hit me and and I realized that Le Mans is made by the fans, by their visits. But however, in those circumstances, we, we all should be equally proud and happy that we actually race at all. And that is a good point. We still have a race, not at the normal time of year, not under the normal circumstances, although the weather looks pretty good and pretty June-like as far as the forecast is concerned for later this week. And the race is still the race. The French uh, Le Mans, c'est Le Mans. Le Mans is Le Mans, Alex. And in some ways, the challenge and therefore the achievement isn't going to change. Uh, well, it will be significantly less challenging in the Porsche corners because every year there is a barbecue which smells of sausage and it smells so good that it's a, a challenge not to stop the race and go to eat with the lads on the on the barbecue. Love it. But no, <laughs> joking aside, um, um, actually it is funny. Every year the same sausage smell in the Porsche corners. Never mind. <laughs> Come to the... <laughs> Come to the question you really asked me is, uh, yeah, we, we, we do have a race. The stopwatch, the racetrack, 
the loads on the car, the pressure on the drivers will not be any less than any other year. Uh, and as you said, Le Mans is Le Mans and uh, um, has all his facets, all his faces, all the stories to this event. And uh, you're going to go through the same stress uh, 100% like every other year. I've asked this of a few people. Um, I know Le Mans is pretty well lit nowadays. It's not like the old days. But we're going to have a significant extra amount of darkness, probably somewhere near four hours, maybe a little bit more than that. Is that going to make a huge difference to the drivers at all? Uh, it makes a difference, yes. Um, we notice in all our endless endurance testing in the winter that uh, winter... Uh, with longer darkness is harder than doing summer endurance and also throughout the race I do expect it to be a little bit more difficult and slightly challenging but um, in the end you're right it's it's well lit and I expect it a little bit easier because all the hundred thousands of spectators around the track is a lot of light distractions uh, with flashlights, festivals, fires, smoke from the barbecue, as I said before. Uh, and all of that will be gone. So there will be um, subtle differences, but sometimes on such a high-speed track, you know, you got used to all of those reflections and landmarks, which suddenly not there. Uh, it might be a bit awkward that uh, at 7 in the morning it's not already bright, and if it's just stint at 6 a.m., Normally, you're already awake because it's getting bright. Yes. This time it'll be dark. So, uh, yeah, definitely slightly different. And there will be people, Alex, and you know this, that will be saying, well, why did Toyota bother? There's no competition for them this year. There's only five cars in the class. They um, surely are going to win this at a, at a canter. Um, but Le Mans's not like that, is it? No, it's not like that. And uh, Toyota, we are not like that because we joined the championship uh, when we had all this great competition of the prestige German manufacturers and Toyota um, the competition. Unfortunately, as we all know and uh, all of us um, petrol heads or energy heads, you have to say nowadays, wish um, competition would be here. But we don't want to quit and leave and leave the championship, leave the fans, leave Le Mans. Um, and we, we use this period of time to push ourselves internally with better procedures, uh, optimizing the procedures, uh, not giving up on developments, trying to keep the engineers and each and everyone sharp, like there would be competition. And in fact, with all the... Um, rules which uh, makes uh, LMP ones with us LMP one hybrids um, equal. It's not a cakewalk. It's actually by pure lap time uh, we are in a disadvantaged situation. Um, of course, um, sometimes that doesn't come come out on lap times, but it's not easy, and it's still Le Mans, and you still have to drive without mistake. And you know, one thing I want to mention is the in-car, in in-team competition from car to car mm -hmm. becomes so intense that sometimes I felt the last two years that those races are more heated and more challenging team internally than any other race against Audi or Porsche was. I, I've seen some 
uh, some statistics that Toyota have been um, providing uh, recently. That, and you're talking about there the development curve. If you go back to 2013, the first time a TSO came back to Le Mans, and then compare the fuel use and the distance travelled in the Le Mans 24 hours between 2013 and 2019, uh, 500 kilometres further in 2019. Okay, that, that's, that's fine. Um, there's, different, uh, there's different things that can influence that. But 300 kilograms less fuel to go 500 kilometres further from the 2013 car. These TSOs and the TSO 50, uh, and it's its final year this year, they've not stood still, Alex. It's been development and honing and working and engineering excellence all the way along. No, absolutely. And there's nothing to add to, to your very impressive summary of the achievements which is down to the uh, rules and the platform FIA, the ACO Lima offers us. And this is Toyota Hybrid. Uh, we are pushing for uh, ever new limits. And uh, whilst we would love to push against other people, we're still going to put our limits and our targets higher and higher. Um, and this is the order from high up from Akio Toyota. And he says... Uh, you have to come back after each and every session and criticize the product and be productive on its improvement. And the numbers you've mentioned uh, clearly show that. It's extraordinary. And a story that needs uh, shouting from the rooftops in these days when everybody is is fighting for tiny little efficiencies on the racetrack and in, in the streetcars. It is in some ways a, a sad time for Toyota Kazoo Racing, Alex, because it will be the last time at Le Mans for the, the current TSO 50. Uh, new car to come, of course. But, but have... Do you think Toyota and Toyota Kazoo Racing are learning even this year with the TSO 50 in its final outing, learning things that they can carry forward into the, the new car, whatever that's going to be called, that we'll see in WEC and at Le Mans next year? Well, you always learn. Uh, and if it's not necessarily for the exact type of technology or construction, or the vehicle dynamics, because not too much can be translated into the new rule set. You always learn. It's the way you go about the race. It's the procedures you have behind. So if you then replace uh, weight aerodynamic numbers with different numbers, um, your process and procedures is maybe the most important nowadays of getting right. The correlation with the wind tunnel, the understanding of how the races unfold, uh, of how human performance makes a massive difference. Something we underestimate, or every team underestimates when entering Le Mans as a new team. Uh, and so there's always a great amount of learning coming uh, to this racetrack and this race in particular. It's been suggested by a couple of people to me, Alex, that Toyota Gazoo Racing would like to give the TSO 50 a good send-off. I mean, it's had a fantastic record at Le Mans anyway, but maybe a distance record, possibly a new qualifying record. Is is there a possibility of that? Is there enough performance in hand for Toyota Gazoo Racing to, to have those, uh, those goals in mind? 
uh, yes, I mean, the goal is definitely there, but obviously it very much depends on how the race unfolds, the amount of safety cars. If for Sunday the storm, which uh, is forecasted, might come uh, through or might stay away. So there's a lot of things which play into the hands. But what came to my mind a few months ago, and uh, I texted a few of the officials, but of course it was just a completely crazy idea of a tall, lanky Austrian that we remove all the restrictions uh, on the car and we're going to go for the all-time ever lap records in Le Mans, which this car would definitely do a sensational lap time. But of course, that's not in the spirit of those rules, in the spirit of aligning private cars with our factory car. But nevertheless, we're going to go for uh, the, as, as fast as we can. And if it's a record, then great. But it's, it's going to be difficult, 100%. Uh, the new Hyperpole on Friday, does that help or hinder fewer cars on the track? Although there's still going to be 24 cars on track with six from each category, so almost half the field. But a different time of day, that means different temperature on the track and, and in the air. Yes, but I don't think with the performance package we have in hand that we we are capable of fighting against the Camus uh, lap, I think it was from two years ago. Um, so I think qualifying times should be slower, but the race times uh, could be a different kettle of fish and hopefully be faster, but again, depends on how the race unfolds. Well, Le Mans is Le Mans. You're there. I'm very envious. I give my best to the whole of the team, won't you? And... Uh, do your best to enjoy it. I, I, it seems silly saying that to you because I know you will. Yes, it's a, an enjoyment is a big word because you do it after challenge, like every sport, uh, and then you enjoy it if you succeed and uh, you get hyper motivated if you're defeated. But this is racing. This is uh, what sport and competition is about. And thanks for reminding me, John. Um, want to thank you to support uh, endurance racing Le Mans in such amazing way and with your iconic voice and all the fans which you build up for this sport. Uh, we should all be happy that we are here. We should all to give a little prayer in these difficult times to all the um, um, uh, COVID uh, deaths and uh, illnesses everyone suffers around the world and uh, related other issues. But uh, let's now focus on the race and, and thanks for the wishes. Alex Verts joining us from Le Mans. John. Uh, great, great words from Alex there. Thank you uh, to Alistair as well. Hello to Smoking Dog, uh, Adrian and Daniele and the rest of the team who are listening in late in the evening uh, in the paddock at Le Mans looking uh, after one of the teams this year. Our thoughts uh, with you all. Um, uh, mentioned Alan Prosser earlier on. Alan, for ages, you've never told us we've been pronouncing your name wrong. Because you're Welsh, then it's it's not Alan at all. And so, the new hotkey has to be this from Cher Adam. Hello, Alan. Okay, Alan. Okay. Doesn't That's quite so work that... with the uh, Atlantic uh, twang and uh, shades. It's voice, better. It's it's better. Thank you, Cher, for that. We did a little bit of tweaking on the the hot key, uh, and we'll finish off tonight with something quite important for a couple of people. Uh, an apology for absence. 
uh, which I, I feel this is a bit of late arrival at the Le Mans 2020 ball, really. Uh, Tom Kleins has, uh, has tweeted at Specutainment. His reason for absence this week is that healthcare is a relatively busy environment at the moment and he's determined to have a clear weekend to follow the race. I plan to be tuned in from my garage, he says. And there's a reason that it's at the end of the show, but only David Monks. Dave, you know why this is. And I know you'll be listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans as you come from Munich to Portsmouth for your Le Mans weekend. Le Mans or Portsmouth? I'm not sure how that's worked out but safe travels and keep your windows up uh, in the areas that you've got to pass straight through <laughs> remember i mean uh, i'll pass well. straight through portsmouth to be honest <laughs> no, well that's that's unfortunately where he's Mans weekend is so the, he can't pass straight through there he's going there uh, he that was go all the way from... to goodwood it's only 18 miles and there is a fun event at, at goodwood for there the is, 24 the hours screen. Yes, absolutely true. Uh, Tim Greer, our representative of the Portsmouth Tourist Board uh, this evening. Don't Uh, go ever. Stop it. I go through there when I go to to France on the overnight ferry. You go through there. You don't go to there. It's got a very nice Sainsbury's and the port is lovely. Uh, Nick Damon was with us tonight. To be fair, the Sainsbury's is at Farlington, which isn't the same place. No, it's right next to Portsmouth Docks, the one I go to. Oh, Tim, uh, Tim, Tim, Nick Damon was with us tonight. Hooray! <laughs> We've just re-homologated uh, the Michello uh, event. Joe Bradley will be part of our uh, uh, VP Racing Fuel Pit and Paddock team. Thank you, Joe. I don't have to do that, do I? No, no. All right, OK. Tomorrow you have to do that all the time. Really? Before every every session. Every session. Every, session and, and every uh, pit every, report. Uh, Every pit report. Yes, sashing down the pit lane, yeah. songs, tap dancing, yeah. and completely irrelevant statements for no reason whatsoever. Right, you mean just as usual then? Just standard day job. Oh. Uh, uh, and that's about all we have time for tonight. Shea Adam joined us from the US. Uh, just time for this again from Shea. Hello. And <laughs> that is great. Waving goodbye. Uh, 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 in this case, goodbye. But, you know, hello, goodbye, who cares? Uh, I will be back on air tomorrow. Check radio-show.co.uk. The responsible adult oversaw all of, all of this. Uh, and although I, I think she was slightly distracted because it was her birthday day, we got away with much more than I was uh, mm. expecting. Tim Greer was our executive producer. And Haggerty Radio Le Mans continues for the 88th running of the Le Mans 24 hours throughout the week. Stay tuned. For the previews with Johnny Palmer, Shea Adam and me, John Hindhoff. Uh, No time to explain uh, because the llama, well, the llama, that's all we need to say, isn't it? This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.